Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the ElfQuest Show podcast. Today, Ryan and I are going to be talking about issue number eight of the final quest. So how's it going, Ryan? Hey, good. How are you? I am doing well. I'm uh, really excited to talk about this issue. I feel like this is like a major, major issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we do that, um, you know, we normally do news and updates. And really the only thing that I can think of to talk about that we haven't covered in um, in the last podcast, the one with Sunny Strait, is the fact that the first collection of the final quest in graphic novel format is going to be coming out on April 1st. Mm-hmm. So that's a really big milestone. It'll be the first full-color graphic novel that Dark Horse is putting out of ElfQuest. Yeah. And, um, and I think, uh, hopefully, this will meet the need of the sort of fans that we've been hearing from online and, and in the forums and such that have been sort of holding out on the final quest until it came out in a collected edition. So um, I'm really excited about it. I've got all the issues and I've got them, you know, on floppies and I've got them on digital, but I'm of course totally going to get the graphic novel too. What sort of fair weather fans are these that are holding out for a <laughs> collected volume? I know I don't get it either. They no, call themselves Elf Quest fans. Yeah, no. In, in all seriousness, I mean, obviously, um, everybody is on different budgets, and so I can I can yeah, appreciate sure. that if people don't want to have to purchase it more than once. But mm-hmm. at the, on the flip side, you know, it is true that the 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 sales figures of the floppy comics and the digital comics are directly, you know, sort of related to whether or not Dark Horse continues to put out collected editions. So right. there is a little bit of a uh, a catch-22 there, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. if you want the graphic novels, you kind of have to get the individual issues to show Dark Horse that there's a market. But enough yeah. of us did that, and they're putting the books out, so I'm happy. I'm not going to complain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no way. Um, the other thing was, I noticed the other day Richard made a comment on Facebook. I'm pretty sure it was Richard. It might have been Wendy. But um, it was with regards to um, new volumes of the uh, the reprints by Dark Horse. Uh-huh. And he said something that indicated that there would be more. Oh. Um, something about further volumes or something, future volumes. Oh, cool. Um, I missed that. If I could find the comment, I would read it. But it, it's somewhere in on Facebook in some thread. But he said something along those lines about that suggested that there would be further collections. Right. Um, so I don't know if that was just a throwaway comment or if that is in uh, an actual, uh, you know, that, that Dark Horse will be publishing more collected volumes. So. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And hmm. um, But, I mean, my gut tells me that that things seem to be going well enough, at least, for Dark Horse to continue to put out collections. Um, you well, know, I mean, if I, Volume 2 made it to the New York Times bestseller list, I can't oh, why they wouldn't want to produce more. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, that is reason alone for mm-hmm. Dark Horse to, um, you know, to, to put out lots more ElfQuest. And I know that, uh, myself included, lots of us have been emailing Dark Horse at 
Wendy and Richard's direction, letting them know that we're eager and hungry for other, you know, more ElfQuest books, color compilations, um, you know, the more graphic novels of the back catalog, and then also all sorts of other ElfQuest merch. And yeah. uh, there hasn't been any indication that they're doing any of those things yet. But I would encourage folks to, again, politely, but, you know, persistently check in with Dark Horse maybe every, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever, and just ping them and say, Hey, you know, still really interested in this. Um, I've emailed them probably about 10 times in the last, you know, six months and, um, I haven't gotten a reply, but no, I have as well. Um, no reply, but squeaky wheel gets the grease as long exactly. as you're respectful. I think it's right. You know, why not? Um, and I know you and I are both, uh, really eager to get some elf quest action figures because oh apparently my God. we never grew up. No. Um, <laughs> Mr. Ewok oh my God, dioramas, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, are awesome. Thanks. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to see that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, the the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and hopefully they'll, um, you know, because Dark Horse does produce other merch other than just books for yeah. some of their other properties, and so, um, you know, I, I think they they put out the complete ElfQuest volumes one and two. Mm -hmm. They put out the gallery edition. They they're now about to put out the um you know the final quest graphic novel all while publishing the you know the 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 bi monthly issues of Final Quest. Oh and they also did the special reissue of the very first issue of ElfQuest as well for one dollar. So I feel like they like that's a lot for the first year and a half that they have sort of been publishing ElfQuest. So maybe now that all of that stuff has come through, mm -hmm. maybe now there'll be a little bit more leeway for them to think about other, you know, packaging or products uh, that are ElfQuest related that they might be able to put out. So yeah. let's just keep our fingers crossed. That would make sense to me. I would think that that would be like a business model that they would follow. They would sort of gauge it based on maybe the first year and, and decide from there which direction to go in. Right. I, I mean, forward. Right. And and just think about it. I mean, they can't do everything instantaneously all at once, right? No. So first things first, let's reissue the you know, the original quest and Siege and Kings, which they've done in the complete off quest volumes one and two, mm -hmm. um, plus some of these other goodie type books like the gallery edition. Um so like that's where you that's the logical place to start. And that's sort of yeah. the you know, the first three big story arcs that are completely Wendy and Richard. And, um, you know, after that is when you get all sorts of other artists and stories and that, you know, so I, I could see Dark Horse feeling like, well, you know, like, we're not sure what we're going to do with that, because as we all, you know, kind of know there, some of that is a little bit of a mixed bag and some of it isn't canon. And there are still a lot of fans out there that just won't accept any elf quest that isn't 100% Wendy and Richard, which right. I don't quite get, but you know, I could see Dark Horse thinking about that carefully because, mm -hmm. you know, every time they see a comment out there in the in the social media world of people saying, oh, if it's not Wendy and Richard, then it's not ElfQuest, that could very well be, you know, filed away in their in their file of, okay, well, we don't need to reissue shards or hidden years or, you know, any of the other things that, uh, again, were not 100% Wendy and Richard, which I think is a shame if that's... Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. Know. Yeah. But hopefully that won't be the case. Hopefully they will figure out a way to uh, put that stuff out. And, you know, maybe the other thing to think about, too, uh, would be, you know, maybe they're trying to think of ways to package it maybe differently than the way that DC Comics did or, you know, the, the readers' collections that Warp put out themselves. You know, maybe they're trying to 
you know, again, just put a new or different spin on it. Um, so I don't know. I don't. Well, know. I, I think say. they've done a really good job in that respect so far with the two collected volumes, um, where you know the the first volume was the entire first original exactly. quest, yep. and then the second one combined uh, Siege with Kings of the Broken Wheel, which makes sense too. Yeah, it makes um, total sense. Yeah, so I think that was actually a really brilliant move on their part as far as how to collect um, all of the issues um, since the beginning. Right. Um, and then going forward, um, I would assume that they would, if they are going to publish more, that they would sort of follow the same model and maybe collect, I don't know, like Hidden Years with Dreamtime and maybe uh, what would come after that? Maybe... If you if you look at the online comics reader on ElfQuest.com, mm-hmm. um, the the it's been sort of reorganized by, by kind of like by related stories. Okay. So rather than just listing them in, in, in a random order, they're, they're kind of thematically grouped. And I think oh, yeah. that could be a really good way of, of, you know, maybe packaging a book, um, you know, like putting dream time and um, like hidden years and dream time and maybe in all but blood that, that the things that went into those graphic novels, putting them together could yeah. make a lot of sense because they all kind of happen in the same time frame and you know right. right after the the palace reappears and you know leading into shards i mean that that would make a, a lot of sense in my mind um some of the yeah. early hidden years issues too so so anyway i mean who knows i mean there's so many different ways that you could do this and mm-hmm. i trust dark horse to know what they're doing when it comes yeah. to you know bringing product to market and knowing how to um, package it and get it out there and everything. And again, they they're doing a pretty awesome job so far with ElfQuest. I don't know how involved Wendy and Richard would be in that process of determining what would go into the volumes, but I would hope that Dark Horse would sort of work with them to decide that. Um, because ultimately, I, I would I trust Wendy and Richard as far as how they would like um, their stories collected in a way that makes sense to readers right. and and sort of follows chronologically and thematically the best um course yeah i would i would guess that it's probably i mean my impression is that they have they also have a lot of faith in dark horse to take you know their tale elf quest and to put it out there in the best way possible um and so i think dark horse does have a lot of leeway as far as doing that but i also can't imagine that at least richard doesn't have some sort of final say in in all of those things as well. So I think it's probably a combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, either yeah. way, I'm excited for whatever, whatever else that they choose to put out. So um, Dark Horse, yeah. if you're listening to this, please make action figures. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. That'd be okay. awesome. And you can now, make a, a diorama of the, uh, the exactly. Mother Tree Holt. And, exactly. Yeah. Yes. That, that will definitely happen. <laughs> I, I, it might still happen. I might just have to sculpt the damn things myself. And, and <laughs> so, and then I can come over with my ElfQuest action figures and we can play together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Too bad we live in different <laughs> countries. <laughs> I'll make a special trip. All right. You're always invited. Thank you. Um, all right. Now that we got that out of our system, are we ready yeah. to talk about the issue? Yeah, <laughs> I am. All right. Awesome. So, okay. um, so like I said at the very top, um, this issue was really interesting to me or almost special because I feel like mm-hmm. for the first time, it's like, oh, now we are like we are we finally started sprinting. I feel yeah, like, I definitely. feel like the first story arc of Final Quest was 
you know, uh, the recognition storyline and yep. it kind of built, you know, kind of tied up a lot of the, those past storylines mm-hmm. and brought us forward into sort of the main body of the final quest. And if you think about the structure of the original quest, you know, the events of book one, the first five issues mm-hmm. kind of fit the same bill. Like it was sort of like a smaller story within the bigger story. Right. So we've gotten through that. And then yeah. issue number seven, the last issue mm-hmm. was the issue that Wendy called, you know, nothing happens, but everything happens. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, they just sort of, uh, it, it was sort of a slow start into, again, sort of final quest proper, like, you know, diving into the question of what happens when Sunstream calls all the elves, who's going to stay, who's going to go, all that good stuff. And then this issue comes, and like I said, it's like you open the pages, and it's literally like the whole thing is like a sprint. And it almost takes your breath away because it's just like, oh, my God, there's just so much going on. And my wheels have been like spinning like crazy. So oh, um, I, I well, don't know I, where – I completely ahead. agree with you because I felt like the first six issues were basically tying up loose ends and sort of um, getting everything ready for the final quest proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now – like you said, we're sort of, we've begun sprinting and we're really into what the final quest is really about. And what triggers it all, I feel, is um, Sunstream sending out his uh, his call, his send, the mega send, whatever right. you want to call it. Um, that sort of is the trigger now for all of the events to start um, coming into play within, you know, um, considering everything else that has happened. Like we've got the John building warships, going to hunt elves. And right. um, and then, of course, you know what happened with Ember and Tear and Recognition and, and what have you. But this is really sort of, those are sort of almost, I feel, peripherals that are sort of swirling around the center, which is the tribe, Cutter's tribe, and right. Sunstream sending out this call. And now we're going to see the ramifications of that call and how all the elves on the World of Two Moons are going to be affected by it. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I, I wouldn't necessarily call those um, other storylines peripheral necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I personally enjoyed th- seeing the adventures of Ember's tribe, seeing Venka and, and, and Winkin and Aurori kind of interacting up in the go back land. Like, you know, I think that um, I, I, I'm I'm very interested in those stories. And again, like you yeah, pointed totally. out. If, if we didn't have that original story arc of the recognition storyline, the, the whole um, sort of plot line of the Jun and what's going to happen with him next would not have been set up. So right. I feel like, you know, peripheral to me isn't quite the right word. I mean, no, maybe, maybe not. not maybe not. Core, yeah, it's not like the central storyline, but it's an important sort of contextual storyline is, I guess, how I would say it. I feel um, like I can only describe it maybe in, in a visual way, but that this storyline that's been set up now that we're seeing play out in issue number eight with Sunstream sending out the call is the planet and around the planet are moons spinning sure. around. and those are, you know, the Jun and Ember and her tribe and um, what's happening with the wave dancers, but right. they're all spinning around this, this planet. And that planet is the, the major story of the final quest, which is what is going to happen to the elves on the world of two moons and right. triggered by Sunstream's send, which has been set up for years now. That he- uh, okay, I, I, am I the only one that like I was almost surprised when he actually did it in this issue because we've been waiting for so long. Yeah, and and we've got you know there's sort of been good in story explanations for why he has kind of held off, but I sort of like I was to the point where I just like I didn't want to get overly excited about it because 
I knew that it was sort of being held until, you know, sort of the most dramatic moment. And, and honestly, I was like, I was shocked that it happened in this issue, even though it said that it was going to happen. So it was yeah. a really pleasant surprise. I know it's, it's finally, finally it happened. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Like, would he, he, uh, connect with a tribe that was dangerous? I mean, that might still potentially be the case given what we've seen. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, but, like, that's what, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, what's going to happen? Know what would happen. And, and then I mentioned something in one of the uh, last episodes about how I was thinking maybe he would allow Cutter to send through him so that Cutter could sort of send out the call. Right. Um, and maybe that's what triggered Cutter's freakout moment that we've seen um, foreshadowed. But uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what we were gonna see with with Sunstream actually going ahead with this call. But um, in any case, we do. Let's talk about that that two page spread. Yeah. Okay. So again, I'm so, gonna like I'm gonna like practically hyperventilate because it's just so like I, I guess the the big thing for me is new elves. Like I yeah. really I really was holding like i i want to see new elves but i was not convinced at all that there were going to be any other mystery elves out there that you know had somehow gone undetected i thought that might all have just been sort of you know uh, red herrings on the part of wendy and richard yeah you know i I just yeah i I knew it (laughs) (laughs) well you can chalk another one up because i mean i obviously i suspected it just based on especially these last couple episodes where or issues where um you know, there definitely was sort of hinting of, you know, like in the last issue where Cutter was like, you know, we, we've got to move the palace away from the Hulk. Otherwise, we could potentially be overrun by all these other elves. At that point, that's when I started thinking, OK, well, there, then there's if they're going to do that, then there's definitely going to be some somebody or something new out there. But it did not disappoint seeing that that two two page spread um, and seeing uh, well, seeing elves that we know and then seeing. Yep new elves and then seeing elves that don't look anything like any of the elves that we have seen before. And by, by that, I'm talking oh, about my God, those tree elves. And again, what? I'm like hyperventilating. They're so, what are yeah. they? What the hell are those things? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, are they're they obviously like plant elves or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it says like the little word caption next to them is like yeah. you know, the, the, the most hidden of the hidden or something like that. And yes. so, so, you know, my theory is that, mm-hmm. These are a group of elves that really decided that they wanted to camouflage themselves and be completely hidden from humans or other dangers. And, you know, I don't know, maybe they were, maybe they're high ones, maybe they're sort of glider, wave dancer, sort of generation that still have a lot of magic and have been able to at least shape their outer bodies into those sort of tree-like forms so that they blend in. Um, we have never seen elves like this before. I am going to say that uh, they are, in my opinion, grotesque looking. I I can't decide. I it, can't decide. In a way that we've never seen elves depicted by Wendy. Um, because she's always depicted them as being these beautiful, um, almost perfect physical specimens. Um, but these are like gnarled. Uh, I mean, they're still compelling and and interesting and uh, to look at, but in the same respect, like look at them, they look like they're all twisted and and they look like their fingers are actual uh, roots right. and um yeah, like they're all they're. I mean, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, I don't, I hope none of the elves 
that we know have to recognize one of those because <laughs> well i was just gonna I, say right i can't really you see that being very enjoyable <laughs> i know but i was just gonna say you sound like the wolf riders when they first saw tildak you know like yeah, judging yeah. the book by its cover i know and, i am and I am. and what's interesting about that is, is something that i wanted to to bring up is this this sort of evolution in how you know, sort of the main company of elves, the wolf riders and the sun folk, you know, who all kind of look alike with the yeah. exception of skin color. Um, yeah. You know, like the first different looking elf from, you know, magical shaping that we saw was Tildak and they had a strong like gross out reaction. Right. But once they have, they learned more about themselves and the fact that they are all, you know, sort of the, the descendants of shape changers and all of that. And then they sort of really broadened their, their worldview. The next group of elves that we see that don't have standard forms were the wave dancers. And nobody seemed to bat an eye at the fact that salt has a fishtail. Um, and they certainly, no one seemed to um, have any issue whatsoever with Sunstream shaping himself into his wave dancer fish form, right? And so right. I think the elves themselves have come a long way, at least, again, the main groups that we've seen in not, um, again, not sort of being prejudiced against the outer look of what an elf looks like. I mean, hell, look at look at Shen Shen. You know, I mean, yes, Strongbow yeah. bitches about it, but he wouldn't be Strongbow if he didn't. And he brings up some good points, too. But so I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens, how the elves that we know react to these tree plant elves. And, um, you know, like you said, if they recognize, you know, I, I'm not sure how that would work, especially if their outer skin is the texture of tree bark, because that just would not, yeah. <laughs> that would not I, be fun. <laughs> and is this, I, I wonder if this is a, a form that they're permanent, permanently in, or if this is just their, their um, self-shapers and they can shape out of that into what a prototypical elf would look like. Yeah. Um, and this is a sort of a form of camouflage. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but I, I, if I were telling the story myself, um, I would probably shy away from them being able to self-shape at will simply because okay. there's, you know, Wendy and Richard have made a big deal about how proximity and time in the palace really has augmented the elf elves magic and allowed them to get to the magical point where they can, some of them at least can do that like chemo. Whereas yeah. before they lived near in or near the palace, they really did not like the, the magic dampening power of the world of two moons really kept that from happening. So for mm -hmm. a group of elves that has not been exposed to the palace to be able to shape at will would seem a little bit discordant if they did that. But who knows? I mean, right. that could certainly be it. Um, I have another yeah. theory, though. Okay. Actually, it's not my theory. It's our good friend Rob Beskitz's theory that we... Yeah. Um, you know, one night last year at San Diego Comic-Con, in fact, we uh, might have been into the whiskey. And of course, we're geeking out over ElfQuest. And, you know, Rob was talking about, you know, this idea that, you know, what if Timane, you know, when she was experimenting with different shapes before she settled on the wolf shape. And if you recall back to the original flashback where we learn about Timane and Timorn um, in the original quest where Cutter is attacking Winnowill. Mm -hmm. And you see standing there in the shape of a tree. And so the question is, like, could you possibly have had offspring? And, you know, if it's a plant, you know, plant sex happens very differently than than mammal or animal sex. Right. So maybe she got pollinated and put seeds out and they turned into these. I know it's crazy. <laughs> and it's wild. But yeah, I just thought I would put uh, it out there and give a hat tip to Rob for the idea. <laughs> 
very interesting idea, creative, but I would think that that would sort of cheapen the whole idea of um, Tamane becoming a wolf right. and, um, you know, starting the Wolf Rider tribe, which was, as we've been told many times, sort of a unique occurrence on the world of Two Moons. And that's the flip and something, side, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we... It, it could happen, but I I feel like it's not very likely. All right, so Ryan has but officially, an interesting theory has officially poo pooed that idea. Everyone, <laughs> no, I know, I, cool know idea. I know it's a wild wild idea. Um, yeah, but um, but I figured I would throw it out there because you know I mean Wendy and Richard are really pushing the boundaries and with with what sort of the rules, if you will, in quotes. Um, and so who knows? But I, I, I do I do agree that if they if Timane was able to do that, even if it was inadvertently, it might take away the specialness of what Timorn was. So uh so yeah, probably not. Yeah. But you never know. Because then we would have elves that were half plant, right? Uh half Yeah. Which half would elf. explain why they look the way they do. <laughs> it would. It would. Um yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the uh they're they've shaped themselves to look like that and blend in and i wonder where they are actually yeah. on the world of the moons they're definitely in some kind of you know sort of forest scenario but where is anyone's guess i mean we only see this one panel of them which by the way is even though there's a grotesqueness about these elves they are completely yep. dominated by the line of beauty by that sort of curving uh, gracious graceful line work that Wendy that oh, is just definitely. so signature of Wendy. So even though, yeah, yeah. They, they, again, they sort of might grotesque again is the word that comes to mind might look that way. I still see them as beautiful. And like just look at the, the line work in the tree bark in front of the main guy, the, the sort of Brown one that is leaning over the branch there and just how, <laughs> you know, awesome that is. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there is a, a grace in them, right? Yeah. But physically their outer form, is what is sort of to me uh, unappealing or unattractive. But I I understand what you're saying. I mean, they're still I'm still intrigued by them, and I still find them visually interesting. It's just I I can't see them as being attractive right. in that respect. And I think part of that is there there's been studies on what human beings find attractive, and uh, I think part of what the theory is is whether or not um, both sides of a human body are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they have to be equal. Symmetrical, thank yeah. you, yes. And there's an asymmetry to these beings, these elves. You think? Um, I, yeah, I do. I see it. Like, for instance, if you look at the female one, um, well, actually, her face is, does have a <laughs> symmetry to it, but her ears are sort of asymmetrical. Um it's actually, you know what? It's kind of hard to tell because we're not getting a a full on front frontal view. Yeah, of, I, I think so. I think what you're trying to describe is they're 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 very gnarly, you know, like they're not smooth mm -hmm. and clean line. Like, look at the posture of the female, you know, like even though it's that S curve, yeah, it's twisted. yeah, she's like mm -hmm. very, she's almost like you know, uh, you know, like a like a vine or something, like a thick vine. And, you know, the, the other guy there is very tree barkish. And so, uh, yeah, again, who knows? Um, but I am like flat out 
completely jaw dropped, fascinated by these characters. I want to know more about them. Obviously, I want to know like what their history is and how they came to be their shape. And of course, we probably won't get any of that for like ten issues, if at all. Yeah, but, probably. Right. <laughs> now that we've seen like a little teaser of them, but um, yeah. But you know, the other thing that that blows my mind about this is that it really like seeing this these characters really blows the doors wide open for me. Like I really like really feel even more than I did before that that anything goes in Final Quest and I really have no idea where we're going next. And I know I say that all the time. Um but I for me that's a good thing. I don't want to know. You know, I want to be surprised like I was in seeing these characters. Yeah, it was really shocking and amazing and uh I was uh just i was floored when i saw them i was like what is this yeah who are these i want to why do they look this way i mean i'm so intrigued i can't wait to find out more about yeah them. i want to so. start drawing them and like you know i need to see their full bodies that i know you know could draw their legs yeah. and um just yeah i'm really 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 interested in them oh the other thing about them too mm-hmm. is that you know we've talked several times in the past about how elf quest um sort of is gives like a new interpretation of a lot of our earth mythologies. Um, you know, yes. so sort of Winnowill as, you know, the evil queen or nowadays as sort of the, the demon possessor or Timorn as sort of the elf quest version, or I should say Timane, the elf quest version of a werewolf, you know, like they're not quite, yeah. they don't match what our pop culture today says, but it, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of taking those mythologies and bending them through the prism of ElfQuest. And so these mm-hmm. creatures to me are, you know, the, the, the dryads, you know, the, the tree spirits um, or, mm-hmm. you know, what Tolkien did with um, sort of the tree people with the Ents. So yeah. um, I kind of see these guys maybe as the, the, you know, the unique ElfQuest versions of that sort of idea of living trees or tree spirits or something like that. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Like you said, like dryads. Or- right tree nymphs or whatever they're called yeah definitely i've been calling them the swamp elves i don't know if that <laughs> well yeah <laughs> i doubt that that's their actual tribe name but that's just what i've been labeling them as yeah well you so. know what now that you say that um a swamp environment would fit the look of them again that sort of you know gnarly uh, you know bumpy moss ridden look um and if you uh, mm. I'm, I'm looking at it now and there is you know what looks like maybe like spanish moss or something hanging up the yeah. tree branches in the back which only grows in sort of swampy type areas so so yeah that yeah. that's interesting maybe they're sort of swamp elves yeah and growing in uh that guy's hair too yeah that's why i said yeah. there's like kind of moss kind of growing on them um, yeah with the one the other thing that's interesting is that the sort of the the ochre colored one on the right hand yeah. side has has a beard yeah yeah so and and he has his hair tied um and his, his hair is green but do you notice how the size differential between them i don't know if that's um just a uh a stylistic choice but if you look at uh the female on the left and then the male on the right they've got their hands on the the dude in the middle right um they look significantly smaller if you know, perspective wise. So I don't know if that's uh, just a stylistic choice or if that that middle dude is actually quite a bit bigger than the other two. Well, yeah, I didn't notice that. And I think that um, maybe they're just of different heights. Um, And I think the, the, the ochre guy 
might be just a little bit further back. So, but he strikes yeah. me as kind of like being really tall and thin. And if you take yeah. the idea that they're mimicking plants, they it would kind of make sense that they're different sizes and shapes. So who knows? I mean, I guess we won't really know until we see more of them. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the brown guy definitely seems to be yeah. in the foreground, so he would naturally appear a little bit bigger. But um, now I I've been concerned too because I'm thinking, are they sinister? Because he almost has a look of uh like he doesn't look very happy no he doesn't look happy and he definitely has like of any elf elf quest illustration he has a look Mm -hmm. a facial design that to me says goblin yeah you know like he looks like what in my mind i think of as a goblin um yeah and um and you're right but again that could be us judging exactly Exactly. and and thinking oh they're not attractive in the classical sense that we've seen the elves depicted in so therefore they're evil and you know we probably shouldn't do that no that's exactly what i was going to say because you know the female in the foreground she has sort of like a mysterious look about her i wouldn't quite say anything sinister or evil i mean it could be but it doesn't necessarily have to be and then the other guy with the green hair and the yellow ochre skin he looks just kind of like, huh? What the heck? You know, like he seems yeah, yeah, he's shocked. Yeah, shocked. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, it'll be really interesting. We know there's at least six of them. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. And but in in, in any case, I, I mean, I can't wait to find out more about who these these elves are and what's going on with them. I mean, it's just incredible. When I saw that, I was like, oh my god. Right. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. This completely undiscovered tribe. Yep. And like totally um, and then, new territory for ElfQuest, you know? Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the, the character designs are so far removed, really, from anything we've seen before. And there's a part of me that's a little bit concerned about that, because I, I always feel like when you see characters like this that are so visually different in the way that, say, the wave dancers are, they are significantly different in the... in the fact that they have, you know, all these fins on them and mm-hmm. um, even Tildak. Um, but when we see characters like this, I'm always concerned about how they will mesh visually with the already established characters. See that? Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I just, I don't want it to feel so out of place that I, I don't buy into the fact that these are all the same beings and they're all you know, yeah. within the same um, species. Species. Yeah. I totally know exactly what you're talking about because honestly, that's how I felt about the wave dancers, um, and 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 yes. mostly not until Wendy started drawing them in the Discovery. Mm-hmm. I had that same sort of discomfort is probably the best word, looking at them and just trying to reconcile them with the rest of the elves. Yes, and and like the elves themselves, I have come you know, uh, 180 degrees in the way that I, I see that, you know, like now I actually, I feel like seeing these tree elves actually mm-hmm. validates the the differences that we saw in the wave dancers and takes it to the next level. And now, and yeah. now like I envision sort of elfdom on the world of two moons as coming in so many different packages, you know, and, and that these really are malleable beings that can mimic and shape themselves into their their whims or you know what's going to camouflage them and so like what i want to see is a is a group shot of you know of the wolf riders the sun folk Mm -hmm. you know the these tree elves and wave dancers and you could you know even tildak 
you know, who was shaped by Winnowill, but still, like, you know, mm. there there's just such a wide variety. And if it was just one tribe yeah. with like in yeah. the instance of the wave dancers, it mm-hmm. that that's where I got a little bit I, I had a little bit of trouble wrapping my arms around that. But now that we're seeing other yeah. elves that are radically different in shape and look than than sort of the main ones, I think it mm-hmm. I think it 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 adds to it. It 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 and it validates again having some tribes look a little bit different. Well, I think for me it was because the original four tribes were so human. Yeah. In that respect, in their visual, um, in the way that Wendy drew them, they were they still retained this human aspect mm-hmm. to them, and it, they made sense. Um, you know, like even with skin color, um, that was something that I, you know, it it relates to humanity. Um, and then you get the wave dancers, and they've got like blue skin or blue hair mm-hmm. and yellow golden skin. Um, and it it sort of for me, I found it just slightly jarring um, because it, it didn't reconcile, like you said, right. with what had already been established for these beings. Um, but you know, I, I agree with you. After I saw Wendy drawing them, um, just because uh, her styles, her her style, um, sort of brought them all together and I could see them as being part of the same species again. Um, So it might just have been the fact that other artists were drawing them that sort of took me out of, you know, that believability, I suppose. Well, Um, mm -hmm. well, speaking of wave dancers and Wendy drawing them, I just have to say this, that Korafe has a major case of the Tina Turner's going on with that hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I thought, I mean, we talked about this in a previous episode, but like girl's got some big hair and it doesn't go down. Like when she's like walking around, oh. it's this giant mane of seafoam green hair. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's a, it's a halo. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, in fact, the, the, the thing that, that it makes me think of is that, um, you know, most of the wave dancers are sort of very elegant in their own sort of under the sea way, but she's got this this sort of messy bush of hair. And it, I have to guess that maybe that is a, a nod to her wolf rider heritage where the wolf riders, you know, c- c- tend to be a little bit more rough and tumble um, and messy looking sometimes. So, um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And also, I think just her character as well, where she is um, depicted as being a lot less... Uh, fearful or not fearful at all exactly um, in comparison to the rest of her tribe yeah. but bef- um, so visually it sort of you know communicates that that she's free and wild um, right mm-hmm. yeah so um, I do want to talk about Korafe and her interaction with Reef but before we yeah. totally jump there I, I wanted yeah. to talk about the other new character that we saw in okay. the sending montage and yeah. that is the guy who I have taken to calling Pony Boy the guy that's okay. riding the I'm I'm calling him Brony. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> um, for those of you listening who don't know what a Brony is, just Google it. It's kind of genius. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so at any rate, I mean, again, who is this guy, right? I mean, he, yeah. he obviously is in the standard elf shape. Um, mm-hmm. He looks like I love the look of this guy. Yeah, I do too. He looks vaguely awesome. go backish, but with a little bit more yes. ornamentation going on. Um, yeah. I noticed got sort of like a, a Mongolian um, steps rider. Yeah, uh, yeah, fashion thing going on. It's really cool. I really like uh, I like everything about him visually. Yeah, 
Yeah. The, the... I, but you know what I thought, though, when I first saw him? Do you know who Chris Parnell is, the actor from Saturday Night Live? Um, yes, but I can't picture him. <laughs> okay, well, Google Steve or Chris, Chris Parnell. Yeah. I'm doing it right now. Just for some reason, it just triggered. He, he looks like him to me. Let me see. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he's also on 30 Rock, too. Yeah, yeah. That's actually really funny. Now I'm never going to be able to look yeah. at him again. I'm only going to say the doctor, uh, Speckerman or whatever his name was. <laughs> 30 Rock. Um, there is a similar facial expression. You're like, I'm looking yeah. at a picture of him from like IMDb and it's like exactly that expression. Um, well, because Brony here too looks like, I mean, he's received the call, right? The send yeah. and he's, he looks like he's going, what? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Um, so. so a couple other things that I noticed about him though. One is... Like I said, you know, maybe vaguely go backish attire, you know, fur, leather, yeah. and, and that kind of thing, um, except with a little bit more ornamentation. And and yeah, you know, the go backs don't. I mean, they, they have ornaments, but they don't necessarily use symbols in the way that the no. wolf riders or the um, the uh, the sun folk do. And this guy clearly has some kind of symbol or you know repeating pattern on his headband and his wristband and on his yeah. boot. So uh, yeah, and also on the bridle yeah, the, of the yeah. pony. Um, so that's curious to me. Like, what does that mean? Um, you know, the other thing that I notice is that he does not seem to have a metal weapon. Looks, no, I was just going to say looks that. like a horn of some kind, maybe that has been carved. Well, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's very pointy, you know, weapon. So, so that's interesting too. That mm -hmm. you know, we have, and, and I love this. I love the fact that you know, there's a sort of pre-metal elves that are still out there technology wise um yeah well it makes sense right because the only reason that the elves had metal uh was because they had um the trolls trade with the trolls mm -hmm. yeah so if uh, a tribe or an elf was not uh in any sort of connection with trolls then they wouldn't have access to metal weapons exactly yeah um so yeah totally curious about him want to figure out what the yeah. story is is he by himself is he part of a tribe well it says to the loneliest of the lonely. So my guess would be that he's all alone. Right. He's, a, he's a loner. Um, but I can't imagine that he would never have been part of a tribe at some point. I mean, I'm, my guess is that he is the remnants of the wandering go back. Yeah, I was just going to say. And, and that makes me think. Here, my, yeah. my other little theory here is I wonder if this guy is Tyr's quote unquote brother. Uh, yeah. that was mentioned in his original um, telling of his backstory, which we have come to learn it was not quite right. Um, yeah. You know, sort of his interpretation of it. But, you know, he definitely mentions that his his mother, which would have been his adoptive mother, left with his brother and, yeah. you know, to go wander. Um, and so, you know, like you said, there's it's been established that at least some of the go-backs sort of left the frozen mountains and went wandering and ended up on the, the plains of, of Jundsland. And so maybe this guy... Is you know what? I sincerely hope not, just because we already went through that with Tyr, with discovering that he had family and it was a big revelation uh, within the first six issues. Right. And that was sort of like, we've been there, done that. Right. I hope that, it might be that this isn't another character who's a family member related to Tyr. Well, or, the, you know? the obvious things that made me think that were the color of his hair and the braids. The braids, yeah. But his skin color isn't quite the same. So well, that's true. But again, maybe he's not living out on the plains where he, you know, is getting tan the way that Tyr did. Well, it's hard to tell because, given um, the uh, the background here that he's uh, set against, 
looks like a rocky terrain. I don't really know where he is. Yeah, and there's a sort of mist behind him, which I don't know if that's yeah. real mist or just figurative mist to sort of be a you know a divider. But um, but yeah, yeah regardless, yeah. fascinating character just based on mm-hmm. this one illustration. So really want to learn more about him. And um, and again, I love the the line work that Wendy has put into the pony. You know, it's not overkill. It's not the spinach like Wendy likes to call it with lots and lots of overkill of, um, you know, sort of pen and ink lines. But there's just enough on this guy to give it that real sort of hand drawn feel um, that we're seeing actually a lot of in the final quest, which which I'm loving. Yeah. I love it too. Yeah. I, I, I would think that he would be um, like a plains runner or a plains elf. I mean, we've been told so much about them or, or there's been hints about them, right. um, but it's never been clear whether or not that's canonical or not. Right. There's been a lot of stories in the, um, the anthology series or what have right. you. So, but my guess is that he is some sort of plains elf. Yeah. So, I, that's, that's um, my guess too. And I, and, and I really love the, what you said about, you know, maybe he's sort of the, you know, takes his, his sort of character note from earth. You know, he's sort of the elf version of like the, the, um, you know, ancient Mongolians and actually there's, there still exists today, you know, that are horse culture and they, they live yeah. on the steppes of Asia. And, um, so that, yeah, that would be interesting mm-hmm. if that is of who, you know, sort of the character type. Um, so I love that he's on a pony too, because it makes sense that, uh, I mean, we've seen elves on, Wolves, stags, giant birds. Right. You would think that at some point somebody would be riding a horse right. or a pony. Right. <laughs> Swoots. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing, a couple other things mm-hmm. on this the scene. One, I love that Sava has that one tear. It like the fact that Sava was included in this montage, I thought was really sweet yeah. because this, in, in many ways, really has been her work as much as it has been cutters, you know, if you recall during the, mm-hmm. when cutter decided to go on the original quest, you know, Sava says, you know, I have been reaching out in my own way for a long time, trying to connect the other lost children of the high ones. And so, you know, the mm-hmm. cutter kicked it off and now it's kind of coming to, you know, full circle, if you will, with Sunstream. And I just thought it was really sweet. And like Sava did not need to be in this montage. It could have totally worked no. without her there. And this is another one of those examples to me of why ElfQuest rocks and why Wendy and Richard are so genius. Because they just, mm-hmm. they, you know, that, that including her there just adds so many layers of depth and meaning and emotion. And it's just, it's just sweet. Like she, Sava deserves to get a little bit of credit for all of this. Yeah. Now I've, I've been wondering for a while what the roles are of the different elves within the palace. And this could just be my human mind sort of wanting to put everybody into categories. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems like there there's a lot of overlapping and I'm not really clear on who's doing what. Um, because, you know, Sun, is Sunstream, uh, like, is Skywise the master of the palace? And I mean, you and I have talked about this before, that that role doesn't really even seem to exist anymore. It's like they're all sort of masters of the palace. But right. Um, you know, like, w- what is Sava's role at this point? Because she's sort of like Tamane, and Tamane is sort of like, um, is able to do what Sunstream can do, and Sunstream can do, like, why why wasn't Tamane able to send out the call, you know? And she's a high one, you would think that she'd be able to do that. Well, but... no, see, but I, I don't think so. I mean, I think if, well, A, I think if she could, she even if she could, she might not have done it. 
Um, you know, no? I, I mean, here, Tamane's story is an interesting one too, because if you follow the thread of it, you know, she, she mm-hmm. finally emerges from, from her wolf form after 10,000 years or so, or however long. Right. And, um, because she's finally back in the palace and is able to tap into the magic there, even though the palace is sort of sleeping. And then she immediately just goes into rap stuff. And then when yeah. Rayek tells her that he wants to go get the gliders to restore the palace, she she kind of rejects him. She doesn't respond at all. She just stays silent. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't know that I, I feel like Timane is really like she has decided like she just needs to take a back seat to whatever it is that all of her offspring and grand great 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 grandchildren or whatever want to do. Like I don't think she she wants to dictate to them and, and I don't know. And so it says even on this, in this spread here, let me pull it up here. It says, um, well, I'm just thinking like, it's like she's being enigmatic to the point of being annoying. Like, <laughs> thanks a lot to me. <laughs> thanks for your help. Well, you know, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole lesson of pain in action, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. if, if we do everything with all of, you know, all of my, great magical powers, then what, what life is there worth living? And, you know, sure. she wants her offspring to, or her descendants is probably a better word to, to make their mm-hmm. choices and do what they're going to do. And she participates, but she doesn't dictate, you know, and it, no. it says here, it says Timmy lends nothing but her presence and understanding the work right. of Sunstreams to do. And I feel like mm-hmm. she probably could have helped. So probably so could have yeah. Saba, but he, mm-hmm. he doesn't need help because he's been training, you know, and as far as the roles go, here's the way that I kind of, parse it out um but yeah. and, and I, the caveat being yeah i do think that we're we're being too human and trying to categorize everybody um sure. but you know i i kind of see timane as the you know the goddess type again in quotes and she's there she's just so beyond even elves like saba that you know she does her thing she's sort of a spiritual guide she almost lives in another like plane of existence Dimension. yeah then you have yeah. saba who is um almost like like a high priestess, if you will, you know, she's, she's a mentor and she's a teacher and, and she's a lot more grounded to the earth. She's much more maternal. She doesn't, there's nothing cold about Saba in the way that Tamane has like a, an unnat, like a supernatural coldness to her um, that Saba Mm -hmm. does not have. And so right there in their, in their personality differences, I, there's different roles that they're going to play, you know, and I would throw sun toucher in as well as sort of, again, kind of like a priest of, of the elves and sort of magically attuned and, and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helps you or not. (laughs) I just, well, I just was always expecting sunstream to sort of take on the role of Sava um, and become maybe the father of memory, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen at this point, but it seemed like that's what his training was sort of leading him towards. And now I, I'm not sure like where he's going, See, which is actually really good because then as far as the story is concerned, because then um, I don't know what to expect. Right. So. Well, see, I, I, I never took it like that. I, I, I always, I never like the idea that he was being trained to sort of take over from Saba. I think he was being trained to be what he'll be. And his, his talent is this, you know, this ability to sort of sense the presence and mentally connect with elves all over the world and probably beyond. You know, that's something different mm-hmm. than what Sava does. And so I don't see it as an either or. I see it as him coming into his unique role that he's now finally able to, uh, you know, assume. And it's sort of, uh, it's not um, that or what Sava does. It's sort of both, you know? 
Right, right. Yeah, it's sort of like taking on all those roles right. in a way. So, so speaking of that, skip to the last mm-hmm. page. Okay. Okay. So we come back. You know, a bunch of other stuff happens, which we'll talk about. We see Rake and Equar and um, and Gobacks yeah. and and um, but this last panel on the last page. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah. check. Okay. Number yeah. one. Number one. Okay. There's mm-hmm. the graphic and what's going on in the background. Number two yeah. is mm-hmm. some pretty major. Um, revelations about the nature of Sunstream's power. So within the text, yeah, in the text. So, so yeah. taking the first mm-hmm. part, this is mm-hmm. the map of the world of two moons that we've never seen depicted in an actual comic. It, before. Exactly. I mean, and and why would you, right? I as mean, far as I remember, you know, they're not going to show a sort yeah. of a map, but like you get this sort of aerial view of of some of the different mm-hmm. continents. And Do you notice how it's slightly different. I actually have not pulled out the, the maps to, to compare it yet. Um, that's on my to-do list, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. What? I know. You haven't? Well, now... That was one of the first things I did. Uh... So, so what did you learn? David. <laughs> I know, I'm slacking. Um, <laughs> I'm just shaking my head at you right now. Um, the Hearthstone looks slightly different, and there's more islands in between Hearthstone and uh, the Sunhold uh-huh. and Icehold continent. There's a lot more land masses and little islands and archipelagos that aren't depicted in that map, which is really cool, because right. that means there's more areas to explore. You know what? When I saw this scene, I immediately thought of um, X-Men. I don't know yes, if you're Yes, that's what I was just going to say, fan. is that... But, you know, Cerebro? It's exactly like that, and that's what I was going to say, yeah. is the thing that we learn in the text. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he can send out to and, and and sort of reach the minds of all of these other elves. It's that yeah. he his magic feeling can detect the presence uh-huh. of of elves, whether they're living or dead, and can kind of know where they are. And then that goes back to the map is you see all these little sending stars. So yeah. are those locations where elves are? Are those locations where elves once where were? Elves have been. Right. And so of course it just we'll fuels my crazy mind of like trying to figure this out. Well, because then I was looking at all the little stars, and I'm thinking, okay, who's that? Which tribe is that? And you see the the major star on Iceholt, which I'm assuming is Sunstream and Cutter's tribe. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the palace, because it's the biggest one. But then there's all sorts of little ones all over the place, like uh, the one on um, in Junsland. I'm assuming that that's probably Ember's tribe. Right. And then if you go, but if you go south to uh, Coldhaven into Trollnose. Coldhaven, yeah. I'm looking. Yes. I'm looking at the map now. There's so. a star there, right? Yeah. Who the heck is down Who is there? there? Who is there? Right. <laughs> maybe it's Brony. <laughs> yes, maybe it's no. Brony. Um, no, you're totally right. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, so for those of you who don't have the map in front of you, if you're looking at that panel, to um, to sort of panel left, Sunstream's right. You have the continent of Junsland. That's that sending star probably would represent Ember. Um, right mm-hmm. behind him, the big star is the location of the original halt. All the way up at the top, that would be the frozen mountains. Go back. Um, and then over the smaller one, like right above the middle of his head, yeah. that's Blue Mountain. Yeah, Blue Mountain. So yeah. I, okay, so then going down below his eye, is that where the wave dancers are? Because yeah. I always assumed, I thought that they were in Junsland on the, um, do you see where that peninsula is? And then there's all the little... The little islands. Yeah, that's where I thought they were. Um, you know what? If give me one second, because I'm going to reach across the room and pull out the uh, Wolf Rider's Guide to the World of ElfQuest, the second edition that has an okay. updated version of the map, because it says on that map 
what continent. Whoa, 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 what? Yes. There's a second edition? Yes, it has, it has more info on it than the one that was originally published as an insert into the comics. So hang on. Give me one second. What? I didn't know there was a second edition. All right, I'm back. I had, a, I okay. had to take my headphones off to reach across the room. So I'm flipping through it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I only discovered this recently because I, um, there was discussion about the maps going on on the forums, and I was trying to help yeah. point people in the direction. And um, so let's see. Yeah, okay. So the, the map that is in the second edition of the Wolf Rider's Guide to the World of ElfQuest, I think mm-hmm. it's the second one. It's a soft cover one. Um, shows that Crest Point is indeed on the continent of Jundsland. Now, again, these maps were done 20 years ago. So if Wendy Richard right. had decided to, to shift it, I, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. But uh, at the very tip of that sort of, you know, uh, down towards the, the bottom of that, that jutting out point on the bottom of the continent of Jundsland, which again would be to the left-hand side of the panel um, is where mm-hmm. Crest Point is. So we're not seeing a star there, but I don't know that we can be reading this as like, it's showing every, every spot where there's elves. Right. You know? So, yeah. but I think if there is a star there, that that's probably a good indicator that maybe something Indication. is going on there. So we definitely, definitely. see a star, uh, a small star, at least on the continent of Hearthstone. That's yeah. to the, all the way to the um, right-hand side of the panel. And then, yep. like we were just talking about, there's one down at Coldhaven, which probably would be like the equivalent of Antarctica, um, at the mm-hmm. very tip, or near that very tip of the that little land bridge that juts out called Trollnose. So, right. Um, and then down in the Forever Green, right by, yeah. by his collarbone, by Sunshine, yep. you can't really see it because the continent, because he's blocking it, but right by his collarbone, right. you see a star. And that, my guess, is mm-hmm. is... Um, is door because we see door at least i think it's oh, door yeah. back in the i think it's in, door. The, in the montage scene i so yeah. I, I had a momentary like i saw the lacy stonework behind him and for a second i thought yeah. it was egg or auric right uh, but then the helmet and the face shape just mm-hmm. looks like door to me and not auric so um, yeah me too and uh door was a rock shaper so right exactly so he could have shaped that stuff too right yeah, um, yeah. or uh, that could even just be a visual um cue exactly that that one of the buttons. but i'm certain that that's door yeah i think it is too yeah. but that would make yeah. sense though that the the sending star right above sunstream's head and that last uh-huh. panel which represents the yep. area where blue mountain is that's probably my guess is that that is where auric is because that's where the last time we saw him was in the kavi miniseries uh and mm-hmm. he had kind of set up camp there so this would have been you know, maybe a few hundred, few thousand years later. So um, who knows? We don't know exactly when that took place, but um, but at any rate, that's probably who is up there. And of course, this is yeah. all. You know, th- we might be completely overanalyzing all of this. <laughs> um, you think? <laughs> I mean, you know, like who would who would the star be that's right in the middle of his cheekbone? Right. That's like that. Probably would be in the ocean. I know. So yeah, yeah I'm looking well, at the map again. I well, I think that I think that's the wave dancers, and they've been moved over to the other continent. There. Yeah, but then if you look over on his left arm, um, there's a, a star, and it's 
it's a medium-sized star. Right, and it's kind and of just out in the middle like of the ocean. ocean. Yeah. Well, who knows? Oh. Maybe, maybe. Oh my God! How amazing would this be? Maybe we'll see pirate elves. <laughs> that would be cool. You know, like, well, see, that's the other thing I was thinking about the montage scene. Is that all of the elves? Um, all of right. the undiscovered tribes, right. or are there other ones? Because I. I was always wondering what became of that storyline in the Wild Hunt in um, ElfQuest Volume 2 where Yoon found the statue of the winged elf. Right. And we never really got uh, an answer to that mystery. Yeah. Um, and, there, you know, the, the legends of Adarak of the nine-pinioned wing. And, right. Um, I always wanted to find out what became of that. Like, what was that leading to? Yeah. Is that another tribe of elves? Um, so I'm wondering if in this montage, if that's that's it or if there are other ones that just aren't included in that montage that we'll find out about in upcoming issues i think it's very carefully worded to not answer that question <laughs> right mm -hmm. i mean it, it could be that there's just this one lonely guy and then this tribe of tree elves out there um yeah. with a couple of random gliders but the fact that egg is not on there um d uh, you know would indicate Jethel to me and shot. right Jethel and shot God love them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> the you know, they, yeah, they're not pictured. Um, so my guess, yeah. oh, and the fact that, you know, it's been set up that, again, Cutter wants to move the palace away because he's worried about being overrun by all of these elves and to the point where they can't live their quiet wolf rider life. So my guess is that there's got to be more. I hope that there's more because I just want more elves, damn it. <laughs> Me too. I just want more and more. Yeah. Um, Wendy's rolling yeah. her eyes right now, I know. <laughs> exactly. She's like, oh man, more L's for me to draw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but speaking of moving the palace to Blue Mountain, so that was actually a, a big, uh, a big plot point as well, because um, as we saw in the last issue, Cutter was concerned about um, when Sunstream sent out the call that all of these L's would be coming into the territory of the original Holt and that that could attract unwanted attention from humans and who knows, maybe even um, dangerous elves. Um, and he was wanting to move the palace elsewhere. Uh, and so in this issue, we get the uh, the, the few panels here with Tamane who sends to Cutter an image of Blue Mountain. And Cutter realizes, yes, that's probably the best place to move the palace to. Right, yeah. And, and so some interesting things about that are mm -hmm. that... The last time we saw Blue Mountain was in Winkin's flashback, where he was describing how during the Wolf Rider's long sleep on one of his many wandering journeys, he went to Blue Mountain um, looking for Winnowill to see if he could convince her to shape wings. And that's where he bumped into uh, Kavi and Tildak. And at that point, mm -hmm. at that point, which again would have been sometime during the long sleep before the events of Shards and Forevergreen and all that, um, but after the Kavi miniseries. The mountain mm -hmm. is still in shambles, right? It's still crumbling. Yeah. Um, in Timane's mental vision, it is a mountain, and Cutter recognizes it as a mountain. Now, that could just be yeah. figurative in a wolf wolf mind, you know, thinks a blue mountain and a mountain appears, and that's what Cutter perceived. Um, or right. I wonder if Blue Mountain has begun rebuilding itself. Um, because if you've read any of the future quest stories, um, by the time of you know, which would be some 900 years from now in the story, Blue Mountain, the magic, you know, that the gliders put in there, just like the magic that created um, 
Mad Coil or keeps the rocks moving in Sorrow's End is still there. And it actually rebuilt mm -hmm. Blue Mountain. And so I'm wondering if that has happened in the interim between when we last saw it, which again was, um, you know, maybe a few hundred to a few thousand years ago when Windkin was there to now, um, maybe it has rebuilt itself. And when they bring the palace there, um, you know, who knows what will happen. Sure. Um, and actually, now that you mentioned that, I, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, I didn't think of this before, but it's it's surprising that um, that trio of Kavi, Tildak, and Winkin didn't run into Orek because in the Kavi miniseries, uh, Orek was still living right. in the ruins of Blue Mountain. Right. And we didn't see him in the special. They didn't run into him. Right. So well, my... and and that's sort of you know that's might dovetail with the whole is the Kavi miniseries canon or not? Did it actually happen? Yeah, I mean, even I, I have a simpler explanation. Um, I, I don't think uh -huh. you need to rule out the can canonicity of the of the Kavi miniseries on that point, at least because yeah. maybe he was off on his own adventure. Maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe they were there for all of half an hour and then set out looking for Winnowell elsewhere and didn't bump into him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it really could be anything. So, um, yeah, that's true. Um, it just it sort of uh, surprises me as well that they would want to move it to Blue Mountain because I don't see how that would be any less dangerous. I mean, I it it would be less dangerous to Cutter's tribe because they won't be there when other elves are coming, but. There must be humans still living in that area, I would think. Yeah, I don't know what what Timane's logic is in going to Blue Mountain. I thought that was curious as well. Um, or maybe not. You know what? Maybe humans avoid the area around oh. Blue Mountain because it's considered cursed or dangerous because of yeah, like leftover magic and and just maybe even legends of what had happened there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That. That maybe it's yeah it's sort of it's like a safe a, zone from humans at least because they don't go yeah. there um right oh that's really interesting i like that idea yeah um, yeah it's sort of a forbidden zone right and that's and that is exactly what it is by the time of the the future quest stories it's yes, called a forbidden right. zone and of course you know the the magic there is sort of tainted because of all the mm -hmm. awful stuff that happened in blue mountain um so again i, yeah. I wonder if the mountain has rebuilt itself from this sort of magic that's trying to to grow and you know take shape and all and you know like it does by the time of the the, the future quest stories you know if if what what what's going to happen when they go there is that going to fight with the magic of the palace or you know I, I, I'm curious mm -hmm. about it or all of this could be you know just our minds going over time and it's they could just true. get there and and you know nothing will happen as far as all this stuff goes but I'm curious at least yeah. Um, and on that page too, I, I love the bottom panel where Skywise is again talking about his loss of his wolf blood and how yeah. he can't uh, communicate with Tamane the same way that um, that Cutter can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I thought that was a really effective sort of way of once again showing how different the two of them have become from one another. Right. Yeah. Um, Cutter and Skywise. Definitely. Yeah. And and how yeah. the wolf riders maybe um, can sort of get into the mind of a wolf without actually having the wolf send um yeah it's one of the few times that we've seen it happen right um, right a wolf send right so um mm -hmm. yeah then and the next page in that scene too it's well okay so so now that we're talking about this so they're gonna move yeah the palace to blue mountain and here we get the first the first real 
practical application of the the the, what the that well yeah the like the fallout of who stays and who goes right even yeah, if it's just yeah. they're not leaving the planet yet they're just hopping you know maybe you know i don't know a few weeks worth of travel across the plains to where blue mountain would be right. and and we're seeing the early you know strife that that's going to cause obviously strongbow and moonshade are at odds about what that means um Yep. And well, you see, you see Moonshade's reaction there, thinking, but where she says, "Where will the palace go?" Right. Um, because clearly, she is uh, really enamored of the palace. She's there all the time. She's really becoming a palace dweller. Right. And so, the idea to her that the palace could be moving away from the Holt is suddenly, um, you know, she's going to have to deal with this. Right. And she looks this issue now. Is she going to go or not? Right. And she looks distressed. Yeah. Oh, big you time. Know, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, and then, mm-hmm. well, along those same lines, I want to go back to yep. the last issue, because when I saw okay. this, you know, this sort of you know Moonshade bringing up this question, it made me think of the scene last issue, where Pike specifically says, you know, I've chosen to live near the palace so that I can be near my life mates, near Scott mm-hmm. and Prim. So I wonder if mm-hmm. if if he'll go, if he'll follow, if he would go too, yeah. Um, and it's funny because he just rejoined Cutter's tribe, right. and imagine if the palace moves and then he's gone again. Exactly, and like, and so like, yeah. no matter what choice he makes, there are ramifications for it. Either he'll choose to continue to live near the palace, even though that means sacrificing something, which is the point that he was making to Shen Chen that if you know you, you might have to sacrifice something if you want what you want to have what you really want, or right. or the flip side is is that he will give up on that part of it because he does want to remain you know, part of the Wolf Rider tribe. So it's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just a thought that he would sacrifice that connection with his dead loved ones right. in order to stay with the tribe. Yeah. That's actually a, another way to look at right. it. Um, I, I love um, Cutter and Skywise, of course, here too, because, you know, Skywise is distraught over the fact that he'd be moving with the palace mm-hmm. and um, be separated from, from Cutter. Of course, Cutter is, again more of the um sort of rationalist right um where he's saying but well, you could just shape a pod and come and visit me and skywise is saying but it's not the same like i won't be able to if i reach out for you you won't be there which is really it's really sad yeah, and sweet yeah. but you know um it cutters i guess is trying to make the best of it uh but it's this is really um i mean the palace is having this major influence on everybody right. and we're really seeing that. Well, I mean, again, we're seeing the manifestation and the story of what Wendy and Richard have said from the very get-go about Final Quest, and that is, be careful what you wish for. You know, the elves mm-hmm. wanted the palace. They wanted the power. They yep. wanted to reconnect with their heritage, and they've got it. And now, it, yeah. you know, shockingly has not solved all of their problems. It's created a nope. whole new set of problems. And so, whole new set. so that's interesting, too, you know, from the sort of philosophical point of view that is woven throughout ElfQuest. You know, I wonder if the message here is, you know, this is another example of reinforcing that, um, that philosophy of, you know, live in the now and, you know, not that you shouldn't strive for new things or, or greater things, but that don't put all your eggs in one basket, <laughs> right? You know, like be yeah, happy exactly. with what you have and make it live that life to the fullest. And um, because sometimes what looks like a magic bullet um, is, isn't, you know, maybe that utopia just does not exist, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, the ramifications from this, the fallout are going to be major. 
Um, I love how the um, the relationship between Strongbone Moonshade is being handled right now, and the uh, the crisis that they're really going through at this point. It's it's being handled in a really um, oh like it's subtle, but at the same time, it's it's really evident as well. Like they're 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 having what basically amounts to marital problems. Exactly. And it, yeah. they're going through they're going through separation. Yeah, I mean they're they're breaking up basically is what's happening. Yeah, I mean um yeah. That's I I can't describe it in any other way and I can't really see it going in any other direction unless one of them makes a a extreme choice. Um they're both moving in opposite directions right now. And it, I mean, even visually, it's conveyed to us where um, there's when everybody's saying goodbye to Shenzhen, um, it focuses on Strongbone Moonshade and how they're so at odds with each other and they're not seeing eye to eye at all. Um, it's so, so different from how they used to be, but it's being handled in such a, a, um, I, I can't. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but it it's being handled in a very believable way. It's not. It's not over the top. Right. It's not uh, overly dramatic, right. but it it's still. I mean, it's still really. Um, it's powerful that this is happening because they've always been held up as sort of the archetypal wolf rider couple. Right. Who, I mean, even Moonshade. You know, we said this before. She was like the stand by your man kind of woman, and now she's you know sort of going off in her own direction and, and she wants to lead a different life than she has. And, um, you know, Strongbow's, you know, set in his ways. And I just can't see this going in, in a way that's going to sort of meet both of their needs. It seems to me like they're, they're, it's like, this is elf divorce. Well, I mean, that's, it's the conversation between Cutter and Skyways. That's pretty much what they say. It's like, you know, if 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 Moonshade's happiness takes away Strongbow's, should she be expected to give it up? And it's like, you know, Skyway says, like it's like being caught in strangleweed. I feel sorry for both of them because there really isn't, mm-hmm. there probably isn't a reconciliation to to that. And so, you know, and I, I'll say this is that I have been really refusing to accept the notion that the two of them might actually split up, um, or, you know, the elfin mm-hmm. version of divorce. I, you know, I've been in my mind thinking, well, you know, they're just playing with us, they being Wendy and Richard, and they're, you know, kind of twisting the knife in a little bit, but at the end of the day, they're going to be get back together and everything's going to be great. But what you just said really sobered me up a little bit about it. And, you know, I think I, I I'm willing to make, like make that jump and think that probably that is what's happening. And the thing that I have to say about that is, you know, if anybody has ever been through a breakup, you know, Ryan, you started out talking about the fact that it's the way that this is playing out is very real, you know, it's sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, reflective of what actually happens in real life. I mean, and this is what it's like, you know, I mean, it sucks, you know, I mean, very rarely does it happen like you see in the movies where, you know, something big and egregious happens and people have a big fight and then they break off their long-term relationship. Yeah. You know, it happens slowly right. and there's little incrementally, yeah, little subtle changes in what makes yeah. one person happy versus the other. And you kind of mm-hmm. grow in different directions. And I think yes. what Wendy and Richard might be showing us here is that, mm-hmm. you know, like this is a thing that happens and, you know, I mean, it is what it is and you have to make your decisions I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, they clearly still love each other. Right. They're recognized. 
they know each other's soul names, but they're changing. They've both changed. Um, well, actually, Moonshade, I would say, has changed right. more than Strongbow. Um, and it can't be denied. And so organically, this is happening. And they're they're having these... They continually have these moments now where they're at odds with each other. But it's never this big blowout, or it hasn't been yet. Right. It might eventually, I don't know. But um, it, it always takes place in a very sort of subdued, melancholic right. tone um, where they, they both recognize that they're changing, the nature of the relationship has changed, and there's not really any turning back. Right. Well, And they both know it, I think, on some deep level. Yeah. And, it, and, and because of that, you can tell how sad they are about it, but it can't be denied. And so, I mean, look at that last panel with the two of them. Strongbow's walking away. He looks he looks upset and moonshade is standing watching him go and she looks upset right. you know like they they're both this is heartbreaking right. for for both of them but they can't deny that it's happening right yeah no i mean that's exactly it and kind of what i was saying you know i mean i guess this is one of those places where you know there's there's what happens in 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 story but then there of course is how we in the real world kind of read it and and what it means to us in the real in the real world, and and there's certainly either direct or um, you know maybe I don't want to say involuntary, but I, I feel like you know there's a lot of social commentary in ElfQuest, um, whether or not Wendy and Richard always set out to put it there, but I think this could be Wendy and Richard's way of saying just like with a lot of other things where it comes to um, social issues in the real world, right? I mean. Divorce is frowned upon and, you know, people are looked at as broken if you can't make your marriage work. And I think maybe this is a place where Wendy and Richard's sort of, you know, moral sense about all of this is is showing through in the story and that, you know what, these people, like it happens. Sometimes you grow apart, you know, I mean, you're not going to hell because, you know, and, and that unfortunately is, is a thought that, that is still very prevalent here in the real world. Again, you know, like yeah. you throw in, re- you know, real world religions and, you know, in some, in some, um, you know, religious points of view, getting a divorce is, is a major sin, right? Um, and others, oh, the woman yeah. is slut shamed or, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the man is, you know, well, you know, you're, you're, you're weak. You couldn't have, you know, you couldn't do, you know, you what a man, a man, your woman happy yeah, or, or something. whatever. Right. And yeah. I think, I yeah. hope that if Strongbow and Moonshade do go their separate ways in the story, that it's done in such a way that is positive and leaves the reader with a message that, you know what, this too is okay. Um, not that it's not going to be painful yeah. and not that it's not going to you know hurt or be hard to watch, but that at the end of the day, there's nothing there that warrants us judging the actions of these two people. And when you mentioned hell, I was just thinking like the the hell is the one that's created because they're unaccepting of what has actually taken place. And the longer it's drawn out, the more hellish it becomes for right. them. But it's all, um, they've created it in that respect. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I, I don't think that they're at that stage yet, but even, even the fact that they're, it, it feels like they're unsure of what, the nature of the relationship is right now and it's causing angst right. within themselves and that's that's the hell that's created because it's the the um inability to accept change and move exactly move on even if it means moving away from each other right, 
keeping apart. Um, just to add to that one last point, though, is that there are going to be so many ElfQuest fans who will be either devastated or extremely pissed off <laughs> if these two actually break up for good. Well, I mean, like I said, I put myself into the first category. I would be devastated, you know, like I've, I've refused to believe that it even is a possibility. But again, you know, the, the stuff that happened in, in this issue and, and your take on it, frankly, really kind of helped me reconcile my, you know, to the fact that this actually could be what's happening. And if it is... Mommy and daddy are breaking up, David. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but they still love you. Uh, okay, as long as they still love me. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, a couple other things about the Strongbow Moonshade scenes, since we're kind of hopping yeah. all over. Um well, really just one of the, well, well, I'll say two things. One is that last um, panel on the page where they, um, well, I guess it's the page before they walk away from each other, but that fully sort of lush painted look of Strongbow and Moonshade. Um, the Strongbow, actually, we saw the versions of these illustrations in that final quest teaser video that Wendy yep, and Richard really. put out like, what, four years ago. So we're finally getting to see those those images actually in the comic, which is kind of neat. Um, Moonshade has had flowers added to her hair, um, oh. which I don't think she had in the um, in the original illustration. But again, that's the beauty of Photoshop, right? Um, yes. And then the second thing is, is, is um, one thing that I've been meaning to note for a yeah. while now that I, um, I keep forgetting to is... Strongbow's wolf is really unique. I was just—he's got these sort of, you know, patches of darker fur, and it's not just like yeah. a random inking thing because it's been consistent. Um, so even yeah. on the one page where um, the coloring, like you don't see the, like it's not inked in, but you see Sonny has colored like uh, a, like a grayish and then like a brownish color on him, and then on the next page, you know, when when he's actually inked in the color pattern there. So um, yeah. just, you know, it's cool to see unique wolves and hopefully we'll get to learn his name and l learn a little bit more about him. Yeah, I, I like that too. I noticed that as well. Um, another thing I noticed is that Strongbow is wearing that shirt underneath his vest yeah, now. Yeah, well, it's coming. Which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's coming to be fall. So I guess they're starting well, yeah. to put on their, um, their, their winter clothes. Speaking of, um, we see Shen Shen getting, uh, being given a luxurious fur coat yes. by her mother Tura. Mm -hmm. um I, just, I love the look of that fur coat i want a fur coat <laughs> like that <laughs> it looks so warm don't tell Peter. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah fake fur yeah fake fur um, uh but um yeah no i, I love that I, moment I, too let's talk about shen shen though here she's she, so she's fully human let's go right back to the beginning okay. here she comes into the palace um fully human nightfall recognizes her right away by scent mm -hmm. uh, which is so wolf rider yeah. the wolf ridery thing um yeah and then uh what does pike say those round ears will take getting used to oh this, um and then they, they, yeah like what, what pike says is exactly what i was talking about earlier how you know how much so these characters have evolved in how in and how they perceive themselves and their own species and what's normal and what's not you know, I mean, mm -hmm. think about it. Think about how Pike reacted to Tildak, the first, you know, non-conventional shaped elf, right? He threw a pear at him and told him to get lost, you know? And now yeah, yeah. it's obviously it's a little bit different because he and Chen Chen are love mates or whatever. But I mean, he doesn't, he's not really batting an eye at the fact that not only did she completely, totally change her physical shape, but she changed it into the shape of one of the wolf riders, most mortal enemies, humans, you know, like, yes, Pike's like, oh yeah. 
I'll, I guess it'll take a while to get used to those around ears. You know, he kind of just shrugs it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he's like no big deal. Um, and then you've got Strongbow, who is the complete opposite, right. who really uh, turns into the old curmudgeon here, which actually sort of surprised me a bit because I thought that after shards he had become a little less um, antagonistic towards humans. Well, um, especially given what Shuna had done for him when she saved his life, I thought that he had kind of changed a bit. But it seems here he's sort of back into the old Strongbow hates humans mode. No, but listen, um, listen though. Here's the thing yeah? with this: mm-hmm. is that it's not. A knee-jerk reaction. If you read what he says, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 nuanced. Like so, yeah. I mean, I think Strongbow has changed and grown in 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 particular with regards to how he views humans. I mean, he you know he owes Shuna his life, right? And he he recognizes that. And um, but at the same time, he's not naive enough to believe that you know. Oh, okay. So Shuna's good, and there's some good humans out there. That everything is, you know, great, and I should just trust humans. You know, Strongbow is, is saying, you know, most humans still are out to get us, and look what they did to B. You know, they dropped a rock on them. You know, so you're right. So yeah. and like what he says is specifically like, you know, you know, like this whole idea, like he he, he the idea that Shen Shen is going to go help bring more humans into the world. It, that's what's mm-hmm. that is what is sort of irking him. It's like, you know, like yeah. we are basically on the verge of dying out. I mean, there's not that many of us, and we're struggling to survive. And here you go, you know, helping to bring more of what, for all intents and purposes, are are still our biggest threat. You know, and right. and it's not that he's yeah. saying that all humans are bad. He's just like, you know, like think about your own people for once. And you know, he brings out some good points, like some of the things that we talked about. Yeah, um, you mm-hmm. know, when we were talking about last issue like well, aren't they going to notice when you don't get old <laughs> you know and right, and you guessed right really that point. she that uh shen shen's going to go live with shuna and travel with her so um yep. so i think that was you who suggested that so yeah good on you um i i actually really like this scene with um strongbow and shen shen um the dialogue between them yeah. and the fact that they're sort of at odds with each other uh, it's something we've never really seen before b- between these two characters I love that when characters that haven't really interacted before have interactions totally. with each other. Totally. It's so interesting to see the dynamics at play. Um, but it, you're right. Like they both make really good points. And I love that Shen Shen's standing up to him and she, totally. what does it say? She shakes his, his anger from her Auburn curls. Yeah. Um, she, she's like not having any of this. Um, Which is so great because, you know, but, if you had asked yeah. me, you know, if you sort of, you know, elf, Deathmatch, like Shen Shen versus Strongbow, I would have been like, oh, totally Strongbow. But yes. now that I see them in, playing it out, I wouldn't mess with Shen Shen. You know, she's got a different kind oh. of power and a different kind of strength than Strongbow does. Well, she's got about a foot o- over him now too. Well, there's so. that too. <laughs> and, yeah, and six inches of that is hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which I totally love. But um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like Shen Shen is not to be trifled with. You know, she'll mess you up if you cross her. You know, again, maybe yeah. not in the same way that Strongbow would, but I mean, here she, I think her, her, her tactic is to basically just completely be like, whatever, dude, like, you know, I'm yeah. doing this and I don't care what you say, you know, she kind of dismisses it, which is, if you've ever been dismissed by somebody in an argument, you know what a powerful tactic that is because it drives the other person oh, yeah. batty. Oh yeah. That's the, the most powerful thing to do is ignore somebody right. when they're doing that. Right. Um, then of course we've got Moonshade who stands up for Shenzhen against Strongbow. Um, 
and that's just going back to what we were talking about before, where the nature of their relationship has changed so significantly now. Whereas in the original quest, remember Moonshade was, you know, anything Strongbow said, she was okay with. She hardly ever questioned him, except with that one incident during uh, Blue Mountain when they were first in Blue Mountain, and Strongbow left, and she had the audacity um, to question Strongbow. Right. Um, and I put audacity in quotations. Yeah. Um, but you know, even then, it was it was shocking. Like, oh, Moonshade's questioning Strongbow. Um, but here she is, like actively uh crossing him and yeah. and disagreeing with him openly um which is something that we've never really seen them do so this is that's a, another uh, really illustrative point of of how dramatically this relationship is changing right. between the two of them. and she makes a really good point too because she says self-shaping fitting in to survive this is what Tamane taught her children from the beginning right. is it wrong now to adapt to change just to be happy and you know when she said that, I was thinking, she's right because that's exactly what Tamine did, um, and that's what they do as elves. They've shape changed exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. To, to survive, and I mean, look at these like the swamp elves. Right. You know, obviously they've done the same thing. And when you think about it, the elves aren't even really in their true form. Being an elf isn't their exactly, true form. yeah. Their true form is a conehead alien. Right. Well, and that's so. That's just it. I mean, like Strongbow's point of view you know, is the smaller truth within the larger, right? That, that was how um, Nightfall described what they learned about their history back at the end of the original quest. And that the way was this smaller truth, like Strongbow can't step out of that smaller truth. He sees the, the way of living of wolf riders as again, sort of the end all and be all, but, but Moonshade has taken a step beyond that boundary. And she's starting to think more like, an immortal elf or, you know, even yeah. a high one to say, you know, like, right. sh- like what you just said, that shaping our bodies is what is our true nature, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Timmin demonstrated that by creating us, you know? And so, you know, yes, what we're talking about doing is taking a step outside of the way and that core of what Strongbow has always clung to as being the only way of being for a wolf rider, but Moonshade has sort of, you know, peeked through the crack in the door there and is seeing the bigger potential and relating it back to, you know, sort of, she's not just saying like, like this new way of being is, is bigger and better and negates the old way of being. She's saying that they're kind of one and the same, but it's just, mm-hmm. this is just a bigger view of it. Exactly. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's the smaller truth within the, within the larger is the way that Strongbow's seeing it. Right. Um, he's seeing the smaller truth, Moonshade seeing the larger one. Right, and that really yeah. s- kind of sums up why they're butting heads. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And then, of course, then we have Moonshade deciding a few pages later, um, as we mentioned before, you know, whether when she realizes that they're going to move the palace, so then now the next step is, okay, is she going to go with the palace right. or is she going to stay with the tribe, right? right? And my guess is she's going to go with the palace because she's moving in that direction already and we've all you and i have both talked about this like what could potentially happen with her in the future is she going to give up her wolf blood or is she going to give up her body altogether and become a, a spirit yeah no we'll have to see who knows um but then okay so we've got shen shen leaving she's going to go find shukapek um i love the crowd shot where everybody's saying goodbye to her do you notice the two wolves right in front of uh, moonshade's face in the background one of them's got its its head over the other one's 
um, back. Hang on, let me just scroll. Sort of a cute. Yeah. Here we go. Everybody's everybody's saying goodbye. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a nice little touch there. And then we've got I think it's Yoon saying, "As humans go, you're a tall drink of dreamberry juice." Shen yeah. Shen. So <laughs> even they can recognize that she's an attractive totally human. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I mentioned this in one of the last podcasts, but I think if she's going to see Shukapek, that my guess is that something's going to happen between the two of them. I really. Think Yep, here's what I think. I think it's going to be like a, a star-crossed, star-crossed lover's sort of doomed love affair mm. thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's, that's where my, my mind is going. Interesting. He's going to fall for her, and she's going she's gonna to fall for him, I think. Interesting. Because you notice where, where um, who is it, Pike says, haha, don't let some running five-fingered warrior snap you up. And she says, ick, perish the thought. Right, <laughs> which I loved. Uh, and I think that's foreshadowing. foreshadowing because what's going to happen is it will be the complete opposite. She thinks, ooh, gross, humans, I, c- I could never. And then she'll end up falling for Shukapak and it will be a total 180. Uh, I, it, yeah, At, I mean, I, have, I don't have any, um, any argument against that potentially happening. Now, here's the other thing. So she's going to go help Shuna spread the word on whatever, like, um, whatever Shuna's doing. I don't even know. We haven't seen Shuna in so long. Yeah. Well, Shuna's out there what's going on with Shuna. essentially being the elfin or the elf quest version of a missionary. And she's like an ambassador. Yeah. She's yeah. going out to the various human tribes that live on the plains outside of the, mm-hmm. the, the forest that the Holt is in. And trying to spread the yeah. message that the elves are not to you know not demons or gods that they're just other beings and that we should get along with them and you don't have to fear them or fight them or whatever. Yeah, but you're right. We okay. haven't seen her. When was the last time we saw Shuna in the Final Quest special? I think it was the special. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. This is really the first um, time that they're mentioned, and you know that Shukapek has a lodge, and um, mm-hmm. you know. Now, I mean, I mean, I could be totally wrong. Maybe she'll get to the lodge and. Shukapek will be there with his his wife and his kids or something, you know. Right, but right. We'll we'll see. Yeah, and actually, wait, wait I, I, t- I take it back. I do have one thing to say against that theory, and that is the whole okay. notion of the quote unquote blood song and the difference between elves and humans. And I wouldn't imagine that even in human form that that would change the differences in the way that elves and humans do it to the point where they're incompatible. So. There's that. Maybe not, but but that could be what dooms them, right? Is that they can't completely be together even though they love each uh, other. Well, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That would really suck. Um, but, okay, here's something that I was a little bit surprised about, too, is that, um, okay, so Lita's transformed Shen Shen into a human. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she shaped her to appear as a human. I'm I'm surprised. Well, actually, I'm not because I think that this makes sense. She, Shen Shen, retains her dark skin, mm-hmm. and the humans in this part of the world of two moons are all analogous to Caucasians, from what we've seen. Right now, what I'm surprised about, but I I guess I like I, I can't really be surprised because they don't understand racism, the elves. Right. So I'm wondering if Shen Shen will go into these human communities and she'll be targeted or, or singled out because of her dark skin. And that will be a realization about humans that they have. And maybe she's 
you know, she'll be in danger because of that. Right. I don't know. I mean, and that'll be something like within the story where it's maybe making a comment on on how humans can be right. racist. Yeah, that is interesting because you're right. The humans of, well, actually, no, no, no. The humans of Iceholt, which is the continent that they're uh-huh. on, have sort of been yeah. positioned as. If I mean back in in ten thousand years ago, they were all brown skinned, but like I would say almost more of like um, the Elfquest equivalent of like American Indians or even sort of Mediterranean culture, sort of you know, sort of olive to to medium brown skin tone. Whereas the humans, mm-hmm. the humans of Jonesland, that have been positioned. As sort as of more European, it's more European or Caucasian, right? So, like, if you even okay. think about think back to Little Patch, um, yeah, you know, Little Patch had blue eyes and fairly pale skin, um, mm-hmm. and so I think Shukapek and and Ikopek and the the insect, the Hillhopper Clan people, still have yeah. a. They're might maybe not as dark as the people depicted ten thousand years ago, but they're still fairly brown. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see hmm. when they get together. Like go back yeah, and look, that's a good go back point. and look that's at the, point. I mean, even Shuna has Her turned, turn yeah, Shuna even has turned tan, um, from her yeah. time, you know, I mean, she again was from Jonesland and was very, you know, again, sort of Caucasian colored, um, like all of the people living on Citadel Mount or the mo- most of them anyway. And, you know, now she is kind of, um, again, sort of tan skinned, which would make sense because she's living out on the plains with, you know, uh, you know, exposed to the sun. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I mean, she Chen Chen's definitely darker than Tan, though. So, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, we'll yeah, see. I mean, well, I have no idea. You're, you're right, though. I think you're, I think you're pretty. That's pretty accurate, though, to say that the humans in Icehold have uh, relatively darker skin in comparison to the ones in Jonesland. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, it was just something that occurred to the me. The sense that I get is that. Mm-hmm the continent of Iceholt, which is where, you know, all of the events of the original quest and siege um, took place is sort of roughly the equivalent of North America. And so the people there well, are thought, sort of yeah. roughly based on sort of a native American type, you know, archetype. Like indigenous to North America. Right. Yeah. And then, whereas the yeah. continent of Jonesland mm-hmm. um, is very much more positioned like sort of a, like a Europe and the people there yeah. tend to be look a little bit more, um, again, sort of white skinned or Caucasian or whatever. So, um, I mean, if we want to get really like technical and nerdy about this, I wonder how like evolution took place on the world of two moons, where like how did where did humanity evolve on the world of two moons? And yeah, I have a feeling that we're never. I mean, that's just going way too far. But yeah, yeah, we're probably never going to find that. And of course, I don't know if you no. can hear Lucky making his appearance in the background. He's like, hurry up. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, um, I, I shifted my, um, uh, my wireless router. And I think I mentioned this last time that I'm actually able to come up into my, my ElfQuest office to do the podcast now. Whereas before uh, I did that, I had to do record sitting in my dining room. And therefore, it was much more likely yeah. that Lucky would you know, be running around chewing on a squeak toy. But um, somebody must have you know, made noise outside or something because he's barking his head off but yeah that's okay he's a dog yeah so um anyway um i like the appearances by lucky <laughs> he always makes an appearance i know i know um so uh what was i talking about um we were just talking about oh, the humans the, and like yeah. sort of the again the rough sort of archetypes that i think wendy and richard were kind of going for at least that's what it seems like 
Um, oh, I know what I was going to say is, um, you know, we yeah. know there's um, there there are both the world of two moons equivalents of, you know, people of African descent and sort of people of Asian descent. You know, we've seen them in in story, both in Future Quest and also in the original um at the end of the original quest where we see the, uh, the scroll of colors going, you kind of see all of these sort of different ethnic human groups that kind of match earth ethnic groups. And I think if I'm recalling correctly, the, um, the sort of African equivalent um, sort of type of human on in the story are from Hearthstone. If I recall correctly. Um, oh, okay. So we might, you know, we might, you know, see more of that as the story goes on. And, and cause again, it seems like based on that little map at the very last panel that there's some activity going on on that continent, or there was at some point that's showing up on right. Sunstream's radar. So definitely. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of skin tone, actually, I guess this kind of segues into the scene within the palace where we've got, um, Cutter Skywise and Lita walking in and, uh, Cutter mentions that they're getting taller as well as uh, paler, the sun folk. Right. So the, the palace is having an influence on the sun folk physically, even within 40 some odd years. Right. Um, they're, they're becoming closer to what the original high ones were. And then um, he sends to both Lita and Skywise and, and reveals to them that he's aware that I guess Lita is um, preventing the palace from having the same effect on and her and Skywise. Both herself and Skywise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all of the wolf blooded or non wolf blooded elves uh, are, are being affected physically by the palace's influence. Um, yeah. But then um, lead is dampening that effect on herself and Skywise. Yeah. Which is fascinating. The, the next it, really cool, but it makes sense. I mean, they want to remain uh, this, the same stature as Cutter because they love him so much. Right. Um, the next panel, though, I didn't, I don't quite understand it. Maybe you can sort of clear it up for me. Uh, they both say, okay, they're doing it by choice, and he says, Cutter says, it's all right with me so long as it's all right with you. What is he referring to? Is he referring to them, to Lita preventing it from happening, or he's all right with them allowing it to happen if it's okay with them? I think it's both. <laughs> now that you say it that way, oh. I mean, I think I think what okay. what we're take to take away from that is that he's saying like, don't not let yourself be impacted by the palace and develop into you know a high one. You know, don't do that just for me. Like, if you want to do that, I'm okay with it. But you know, if you want to keep yourself in a shape and appearance like you know that you've always been in you know, that then I'm all right with that too. So I think he's just saying like, I want you to be happy regardless. Like either way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just found it a little confusing because I wasn't sure which side of that coin he was referring to, but yeah. Okay. I, I suppose it, it could make sense. Yeah. I think he's, he's trying to make them yeah. feel better because they're, you know, they're obviously right. upset by it and they were trying to hide it from him. And they're saying, you know, like, yeah. we're doing this, like, we're choosing to do this, so we're okay with it. And he's saying, okay, that's all right with me as long as it's all right with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. So the next page, um, we, you know, right before Sunstream sends out the call, um, you know, we get this great scene with Cutter and Sunstream and 
to Maine in the scroll room. And um, number one, I like that, you know, Cutter's like, okay, I'm, I'm just here to give Sunstream the boot in the butt that he has asked me to give him, you know, the permission to send out the call. So that's what I'm here for. Um, but interestingly, he says, I won't dot, 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 can't stay long. Um, in the palace. And I wonder what that means, if that just means he's got to deal with stuff outside or if there's a deeper meaning there that maybe the Cutter is uncomfortable in the palace just like Strongbow is. I, hmm. At yeah. least not to stay there for an extended oh. period of time. And he also mentions, you always bring me peace in your white fur coat, mother of wolf riders. It's like he... Um, I mean, it's... He feels more comfortable outside of the palace for sure well i just think um, I, maybe maybe uncomfortable or comfortable is not the right word but it's just cutter is definitely a wolf rider through and through and he's just got an earthiness about him that yeah i feel like he connects more with than the side of his nature that would be connected with the palace and unlike moonshade you know he 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 kind of is more like strongbow in that he relates more to sort of the earth and being outside and nature um, versus being in the palace. And I, th I think that is kind of what's being hinted at here. And you're right. It's totally reflected in in his demeanor towards Tamane in wolf form versus in high one form. And this is something that I'm so glad that they addressed because ever since Tamane sort of reshaped herself into a wolf in Kings of the Broken Wheel and spent all of those years at, you know, at 500 years as Cutter's wolf friend, you know, I always, mm -hmm. it always struck me that he just treated her like a wolf. You know, for the most yeah. part. I mean, every once in a while, they were like, yes, you're high one or whatever. But, um, you know, he was very rough and tumble and very casual with her in a way that he's just not when she's in elf form. And they actually, you know, address it well, right here and why. So it's kind yeah. of neat. And, and you see him bowing there before her, which I, I actually, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that, to be honest. Yeah, I, it's a little bit. I find it. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Being elves, I, I don't see them as placing other elves on a different strata because of status or. But see, that's the thing. I think status. I, I'm okay with it because we've seen this from the get go. I mean, Cutter basically does the same exact, you know, he kind of genuflects to Saba the first time that he sees her. We see the wave dancers mm -hmm. do the same thing when they, um, the first four, when they first came into the palace, um, Brill and Darshek and Krill and. Um, spine all kind of do the same thing um, and, and snakeskin. So five of them, they kind of fall to their knees. And I don't think it's because of status. I think it's because of, um, I mean, okay. So for humans, we have status to separate us because we all are generally live the same amount of time and, you know, have the same capacity for experience with elves. Yeah. And you have a creature that's standing in front of you that, you know, for all intents and purposes really is a God. I mean, this, this being has been around for, who knows how long, you know, a Millennium, million years, yeah. five million mm -hmm. years. I mean, who knows? I mean, and just the depth of the mind that, and, and experience that comes with that. I think that is what the elves are reverent to, not like, oh, you're better than me. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a respect thing, I think. But I, I hear you. I mean, it does. Okay. Yeah, it, does, no, it, it, yeah. It, it, it does make you think a little bit like the elves are sort of dipping into the world of religion, even though we know that they're not and that they don't yeah. have religion. And, um, but you know what? I mean, uh, or class even. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I mean, elf quest yeah. is a, is a, is a parable in many ways. And Wendy and yeah. Richard use symbols that are meaningful in the real world in elf quest that might not necessarily have the same meanings in within the story. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, this might be one of those examples where, you know, it just seems right that the way that Cutter would show his respect, you know, to us as the reader to kneel down like that without having any religious connotation, you know. Yeah, no, I I mean, you can, I suppose you could take it either way, right? And it even says in in the text there, he, uh, it's in reverence and awe and it's sort of like a fall on your knees moment, you know, where it's like he's so overwhelmed that he can't even stand. Um, I, it could even be likened to something amongst wolves, right? Where, uh, like a beta yeah. wolf shows its, um, not reverence, but it, its position. I Absolutely. Suppose, yeah. By, by, by making yourself lower. That's totally true. Yeah, yeah. To the, so it could even be a wolf rider thing. Um, yeah. Anyways, it was just a, a little thing I noticed, but, um, so then the next page, we've got the, the two-page spread there, the montage. Um, and then, lo and behold, look who it is. <laughs> Good old Rayek is. is back. Yeah, yeah. with Ekwar and uh, Winnie. Yeah, and, and Winnow Will. Um, yeah. And so yeah. um, I don't have too much to say about these scenes. I mean, you know, in terms of, um, you know, revelation, um, there, you know, there doesn't seem to be much. I mean, we... You know, Winnow Will's spirit is obviously sort of sleeping and trying to sort of wake up and take control within Rayek. And, um, you know, he is fighting to keep her sort of tamped down. And I really actually liked that um, that sort of that panel where she's like, no, you don't have the strength to force me back to sleep. And you know what? This is Rayek. Yes, he does. So he's like, yeah, he's like, that's what you think. Um, (laughs) So that was kind of cool. Yeah. uh, yeah, no, as far as any sort of revelation, they're nothing major. Um, I'm just really glad to see them again and that they're going to be included in the story yeah. because I wasn't quite sure if we would see them in the story or not. Um, just given the, the fact of, you know, what had happened in Shards and he had the, the spirit of Winnowill okay. within him and how dangerous it was, how dangerous it, it is for him to be around the palace and also other elves because of that. I wasn't sure if we'd ever see him. Yeah. Um, in the final quest. So I'm just, I'm glad that we are. Um, and then, so obviously they've made this decision based on Ekwar's, um, uh, counsel that they're going to go to the palace and see, uh, I guess, see if, if the, the power that now is accessible to the elves can somehow free Rayek. Right. Yeah. I, that's sort of thinking here. yeah no i mean and I, I mean i think they pretty much say that i mean ekwar says yeah. you know could this mean freedom for you from her and he says i don't see how and i mean i think i mean we know that in the ultimately that it's not going to solve the problem because the rest of rogue's curse doesn't happen for another few hundred years but um right but i i do have one thing to say about this scene and and don't <laughs> get me wrong like i'm not a rake hater i know some people out there are but I was like, yeah. okay, you know, do you want me to take out my tiny violin for you? He's like so filled with self-pity in that next panel where he's like, well, yeah, I, to shield them all from her, I from Winnowill's dark spirit, I walked away from the Palace of the High Ones. And no one tried to stop me, so no one's going to welcome me back. And I was just like, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no one tried to stop you? I mean, it, you know, like it just, it's totally right to have like that, you know, he's so powerful and so intelligent yeah, he's so mm-hmm. juvenile at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always everybody else's fault. Yeah, and so you know, thank God for Equar saying, you know, we can't know that, so let's go see for ourselves and check it out. Yeah, which then, but you're right. 
obviously that's not going to happen, right? Um, because as of Rogue's Curse, he's still infected, possessed by Winnowill's spirit. Right, but that doesn't um, mean that a lot of other things can't happen, right? I mean, maybe no, they do that, figure out a way to pull her out of him and contain her, and then it backfires, you know? I mean, we have no idea what's yeah. going to happen. Right, right. It's it's within that that we'll find out what actually happens, um, you know, between between now and Rogue's Curse, what happened. Um, and also, we, we got that preview in the trailer of uh, a wounded Venka right. and Rayek fighting off humans. Yep. So I, I'm assuming that's going to occur at some point. Right. He was wearing a different um, outfit as well. Yeah, well, I mean, again, that trailer was, like, was teaser art. So, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't put much yeah. stock in, in, in everything appearing exactly like it did in that, in that video. Uh, frankly, no, no. The teaser uh, art, but. I, what's that? Or any it, teaser art for that matter. No, no, for sure. I, I just really like that outfit he was wearing. I'm wondering if maybe because he looks like his clothes are pretty raggedy now, if Moonshade might not make a new set of clothes for him when he arrives at the palace. Right. But that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, in any case, I'm just glad that these three are back in the story. Yeah, we'll yeah no, see what for, for sure. Um, so you mentioned Venka. So right for, off of this scene, we, yep. we shoot back up to the frozen north, um, to the go-backs, who, of course, are having an orgy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> good old. Go-backs. You know, I've missed I've missed mentioning it in the last few episodes, so I'm glad we have a really good reason to say it now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this makes up for it because not only you know not yeah. are we sneaking in a reference to it, it actually is happening. No, and it's story. actually happening. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I, you know, I, I, it's so interesting to think about the fact of back when that first happened, and and the eyebrows that it raised, both positive and negative. And to today, you know, where I don't, I don't know that anyone will be batting an eye at this. Certainly, probably not ElfQuest fans, because we've come to expect it. But even in the greater world, I mean, I don't know that anybody would find this terribly shocking. Um, you know, I mean, again, it's all done tastefully. There's not explicit nudity um, necessarily. I mean, they're, you know, the, the, our, our modern culture standard of you could show boy boobs but not girl boobs but other than that you know i mean that everybody's subject to that but um but yeah so it'll be interesting to see if anybody writes letters in saying well i ripped the pages out because my children didn't i didn't want them to be perverted so (laughs) um so yeah so they're they're you know the gobacks are partying of course it's their it's their days long celebration celebrating the life of kavi which is kind of nice Mm. um and we get a little little um peek at uh, Winkin and Aurori who I called it. yeah who are you know hooking up and you know maybe they'll just be casual love mates maybe it'll turn into something else but I wonder if it turns into something else could there be more gliders in the picture I mean I've sort of written the gliders yeah. off as um you know an extinct race but you know Aurori's still alive and to our knowledge she hasn't ever had a kid or recognized anybody and you know maybe this this could happen I don't know I don't know how I feel about it yeah. if, if if they do that, you know, I mean, it would be like on the one hand, kind of cool to get new gliders that were not tainted with Lord Val's melancholy and Winnow Will's, you know, mental illness. But on the other hand, you know, the only two gliders in the story are the ones that get together. I don't know. No, they're not the only two gliders. Well, I know, but like in present in, you know, like why isn't Winkin hooking up with a, with a, uh, a go back? Yeah. Uh, Okay, I take your point, but at the same time, why wouldn't he hook up with Aurori? I mean, they're both gliders; they share that in common. So she kidnapped him at one point. I mean, 
Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, and, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing if the, if the two do get together, I think it would be really cool. I'm just kind of thinking yeah. out loud, but, um, yeah. Well, she even says to him, I mean, she's talking about how she wants to get it on while they're floating. Right. right? I, I mean, nobody else can do that except for another glider. And it's probably right. really amazing to do that. Right. So <laughs> yeah, they're both into it. I don't know. Uh, to me, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how Audrey would take it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that actually is sort of the counterpoint to what I was like, the argument that I was just making against the two gliders getting together is that we've seen Winkin with other people. So, you know, it's not like yeah. he's just seeking out, like he, he's like had no love interest until another glider shows up. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah. Again, I, and he was, he, he was a little, I mean, as happy as he was to see Audrey, it, it didn't feel like it was, um, they were as quite in as love with each other as they maybe once were. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, um, you know, every relationship in ElfQuest doesn't have to be like Cutter and Lita level, soul meets soul, you know, ground earth shattering. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of cool to yeah. see, you know, uh, Mender and Ember, you know, sort of grew up mm -hmm. grew out of their relationship in part because Tyr showed up. But um, yeah. I think that it's actually it would it makes sense that that would happen to these characters. Right. right? And that you would have some individuals mm -hmm. that, you know, I mean, are 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 committed love mates but not so deep that they can't go off for 10 years on an exploratory mission and then come back you know so um yeah yeah, yeah no i yeah i get that and and winkin seems like he's i mean he's not the type to sort of settle down right as it were right. um he's he seems to be more on the spectrum of an of an elf who uh is less monogamous than some other ones are right yeah and yeah. maybe not as bad as skywise but <laughs> no but um right yeah in, in any case i i sort of like the fact that they're that they're hooking up here not only just because it, i was right when i <laughs> called it a few <laughs> episodes ago but yeah also you know maybe they will sort of uh rejuvenate the glider line and we know that door uh if that is in right. fact door in that montage is still alive and and Orek as well, right, so right. it will be interesting to see what happens when Aurori, if and when Aurori um, reconnects with, with those two. Right. Um, especially given that Tildak is dead and she had wanted to find Tildak. Right, exactly, yeah. No, I mean, I, we can't forget about Aurori's quest. You know, she went with mm -hmm. Venka, who was going to find Kavi because she felt like that was her best chance at finding Tildak, to her, who was, to her knowledge, the only other living glider. So, right. um, yeah, so it will be interesting. And, you know, you brought up Egg, too. We didn't talk about this before when we were talking about him. But, I, you know, I wonder if the storyline of him recognizing Dodea um, in the Forever Green will, will kind of be reshaped and molded into the final quest, which hmm. I would not be against. Um, I actually really liked Dodea, even though she was kind of a background character. And I thought yeah. that that was an instance of recognition striking. Um, within that story that uh, like like it was an example of using recognition effectively it sort of happened yeah. when you least expected it to the least likely you know sort of couple. couple right and so you know how it ended up playing out 
after that in the in the Fire Eye storyline got a little bit weird where they were like locking yeah. the kid up and he had no name and the timeline didn't work out. So I, I, I don't know, you know, what, what Wendy and Richard will decide to do with it from there. But, um, but if they were to weave them back into the story, you know, like we saw Dodia come to the palace and be collected with, um, with the rest of darts band. But for all we know, she went back, you know, to, to, you know, try to convert door or whatever to the forever green. Maybe mm-hmm. she never, maybe she just popped in and said hi and then went back to go get door who she had just clunked in the head with a, you know, with a branch or something. And, uh, you know, I, I could see, to. I could see that being where they go with it if they decide to address it at all. And on the other hand, mm-hmm. they just might not ever address her again. And, you know, it'll be left to our imaginations. You know, maybe she is in the palace. Maybe she did give birth and there's a half glider, half sun villager, you know, who knows? Um, either way, mm-hmm. I'll be fine, but, um, but I would, I think it would be kind of cool to, to see her and kind of get, find out more Closure. what happened to that. Yeah. 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 I agree. I, I would like to see that too. Um, so then we get the, so the go backs are partying here. Um, they're very acrobatic. Those go backs <laughs> when, when they're having their orgies, <laughs> Yeah, jumping over fire pits and I don't know what happening in that other panel it's like there. they're playing so leapfrog or yeah. you know, who knows i think yeah. you know yeah. they're just overcome with the joys of life i guess <laughs> yes yes in Cavi's <laughs> life um so then we've we've got the uh couple of images of two edge here watching them party and uh he's thinking about benka and wondering if the two halves could ever be melded into one and there's been so much discussion and talk surrounding these two and the nature of their relationship um you know whether or not they could recognize even right um because yeah, clearly two edges smitten with venka but it's indeterminate uh, about how she feels about him really um as for, in any sort of romantic right sense. yeah um, we've never been given any sort of indication that she is interested in him in that way but uh yeah he's definitely head over heels for her. He has been for, for going on 50 years now, I would think. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, interesting though, that that's brought up. Um, well, it's it, what, what's interesting hmm. to me is that he's still struggling with his, the, the, you know, his, his character's challenge in the original quest. And really the whole reason for the whole war was because two edge was trying to figure out if he was, elf or troll and that's yeah. what the whole war between the elves and the trolls was designed to decide for him which of course went out the window when the elves allied with the trolls to beat the troll other trolls but you know even at this point what ten thousand plus years later after being healed at least partially by lita he still is struggling with this core dilemma you know how can my two halves ever yeah. be melded into one yeah it's really sad i i hope that he finds some sort of peace in the final quest. I do too. I do too. And I don't think it's going to come at the hands of Lita, say, who heals him into it. It's going to have to be something that he chooses to do. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think they've said as much too. Like there's, you know, I mean, yeah. there's only so much a healer can do if the if the person being healed is not an active participant. And that goes for Winnowill. I think it goes for Two-Edge and it certainly went for Reef. You know, I mean, remember... Mm-hmm. Um, skim back in the discovery was trying to heal him and shape change him back and you know he couldn't do it and he came to the realization that it was because in the broken one form 
Reef's mind was broken and he couldn't even acknowledge that he was that they were trying to help him to the point where he participated and could actually accept that help. So right. I think and, and, I, and I kind of like that because it takes away, you know, oh, the healer could solve everything. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. It, yeah. Um, yeah, it prevents the healer from becoming the deus ex machina of the story. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like they're just going to solve every problem that arises. No, like it's um, two edge. You know, he's he's definitely not at peace with himself. He has been for thousands of years. I, I just, I really hope that within the story, he'll finally get that closure and he'll finally find that peace. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Um, and it, it might come through Venka in some way. Right. We'll have to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Their relationship. Um, anyways, she, they received the call, so they decide that they're going to go to the palace. I, I'm not clear on why they can't make a pod to go get the go-backs and bring them to the palace? Why Why do the go-backs have to go through the troll caverns? Well, I, I think, A, because there's so many of them that maybe a pod wouldn't work. Um, I mean, Venka certain, and the go-backs certainly wouldn't be thinking about pods. They don't even know about them. And, and of course, Wynn could, could suggest well, it. Well, does. But, yeah. but, you know, I mean... It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't seem odd to me that they would decide. Well, let's let's take a journey on foot to the palace, and and I actually kind of like it that way because again, you know, we don't want the palace to be the you know the ultimate answer to everything, and right. so I'm willing to accept that. You know, maybe they could have done it with a pod, but and maybe Winkin just didn't mention it, and they're just going to travel because otherwise, there's no story. <laughs> Well, also, I, I suppose because they're warriors, they want adventure. They they maybe want to walk into danger, right. and or, you know, or, or encounter danger because that's just their way of life. Right, right. Well, and so that gets us, I think, probably to really the last thing that I had on my list. And since we're over two hours, we probably want to think about wrapping up. But um, yeah, but yeah. I mean, this the the the, the danger factor. You know, Two Edge obviously has been wandering because he knows where. The palaces. He knows that it's down in the original halt with the Wolf Riders. So he obviously mm-hmm. has been, and he clearly knows about the misfit trolls living in Greymung's old kingdom. So um, I'm really fascinated by this because it looks like the misfit trolls are going to, you know, come back into the story, maybe play a bigger role, and um, and maybe be a little bit more dangerous this time around. I mean, I felt like when they were first introduced in the searcher and the sword that they were in the model of how the trolls were originally introduced a little bit slapstick and, and, you know, devious and backstabbing, but maybe not terribly dangerous. It wasn't yeah. until we met Guttlecraw's trolls where mm-hmm. we, you know, we later saw that trolls could actually be a threat to the lives of the elves. And I feel like yeah. um, maybe the misfit trolls are going to end up being a little bit more dangerous and maybe even, killing some of the go-backs um, as they kind of come in and traipse through their, you know, their, their territory. See, I always felt like the misfit trolls were sort of extraneous. Like I didn't understand why just regular trolls weren't sufficient to be uh, mm-hmm. villains in the searcher and the sword. I don't, I never really quite understood why they needed to be these mutated Creatures and I agree with you. They can, they kind of came off as a bit slapsticky, and it just to me they it never f- felt like they fit properly uh-huh. or right to to me. Um, so I'm hoping that within this story they're sort of brought in in a way that makes more 
sense story-wise yeah. and maybe they present more of a threat because I can see them even how they're depicted here they look more threatening totally. and they look they look scary like they look like these huge hulking monsters exactly. that could do a lot of damage to a bunch of armed go-backs totally. um, they look like they could you know they're they're dangerous like ogres almost right yeah, yeah. um yeah, so it, so I like that. That's exactly what um, I'm saying. So I'm saying, hoping yeah. that that's the direction that they're going in. With yeah, that. I do too. I mean, I I think that in order to justify their existence beyond their one specific plot point in the Searcher and the Sword, we you know they kind of need to do something more with them. And and if they turn them into you know again more of a guttle craw troll style threat to the elves. Um, you know, to the go-backs at least as they're coming through that don't have rock-shaping magic to protect themselves from the misfit trolls, I think that would be awesome. Um, you know, I think we we need to see... Well, I, I want to see a little bit more action and adventure in the traditional sense, sort of, you know, sword fight kind of fighting going on, which we haven't like really seen. Washbuckling. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we did see that with Ember's Tribe in the very beginning of the final quest when they were fighting the Junsmen, but... Um, but yeah, the ten-year-old boy in me wants to see some, you know, sword play going on again. Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> I want to see that too. Yeah. You know what? I just I want to point out that panel on the the page before the very last page where all the go-backs are walking down the steps into the mm-hmm. troll tunnels. Um, just each one of them is so unique and totally. so detailed. I love it. It's just so so much eye to detail. Yeah. Um, you know, e- each one has like different designs on their clothing, completely different clothing, mm-hmm. um, different hairstyles. They've they've each got different weapons and yep. and we're even seeing like the same ones like there's that go back i don't know if it's a male or female but they've got the the dark hair with the top knot and we've yep. seen that one consistently mm-hmm. that go well, back um mm-hmm. definitely i mean the the th- that person again i can't tell if it's male or female either and then the two that are wearing hats we have seen a couple yeah. times one with a rounded top hat one with a yeah, yeah. um you know square topped hat um we've definitely right. seen them and the others i probably i would guess that we might have seen them before too so but each one is unique, and and there's just so much detail, um, so much attention to detail for each one. Like, it, it just it's just amazing to me that Wendy's able to do that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, we don't see Aurori and Winkin within that group. I don't know if they're lagging behind. Well, you know, they're, they're taking maybe they're going overland. That yeah, that could be it. Although if you if you scroll to the next page, um, yep. you see Two Edge in the foreground and Venka right behind him and they're all in silhouette. It looks like there could be a Rory standing in the very back in silhouette. Um, mm. It looks slightly taller, but yeah. that could just be that that person, that elf is standing at the top of the stairs and the others are lower. So, well, I on the cover, to, the cover to issue nine, we don't see them either. So my, my guess is that they're flying overland. But one thing I wanted to point out, how does two edge know where the palace is? Well, I think he must have in in the ensuing you know forty years or so since the end of shards have have wandered, you know. I mean, yeah. we, we, that's his his nature. So I'm sure he didn't you know just sit in his cave underneath the go back lodge. So but he that, probably has wandered and been spying on been the misfit trolls and tree stump and Clearbrook, and I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, no. I mean, how else how else would he know that? Yeah, exactly. So he must have. At some point, he's he's traveled, he's wandered, and he's been spying on them. Right, devious, too much. <laughs> um, you know, we we kind of skipped over the uh, the little segment with um, Corafe and Reef, so I oh, think yeah, very briefly touch on that. But it's just a, a nice scene to sort of establish 
the character of Cora Fay as being sort of fearless and fun-loving and you know, uh, welcoming to humans and, um, whereas Reef is the complete opposite. He's still very much, um, fearful and, uh, Dare I say it? He's shell shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Not the same kind of shell, of course, but, um, (laughs) but you know, I, I agree. I think you're, um, that's the whole sort of message that we get out of this, that Corife has indeed grown up to be sort of a fearless sort of light bringer, in the in the wave dancer tribe and reef represents the flip side of you know sort of the caution and um dare i say it the flipper side the flipper side oh god we we gotta quit soon um, <laughs> richard will love this though yeah <laughs> um but i really love that little interaction where corafe basically is teasing you know giving him you know a little bit of uh you know kind of saying you're not going to tell him me are you and poor reef the innocent you know, soul that he is. It's like, no, no, I never will. And she's like, geez, I was only joking. You don't have to take everything so seriously. Yeah. Um, it was just super, super sweet. And, um, you know, really you love me. I think that they might be, I mean, they're holding like, hands. They don't call themselves love mate or beloved. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they are, you know, they're not Wendy and Richard aren't spilling it quite yet. Um, no. which would be just like them. Um, and, I mean, I think there's definitely hints that they could be. Um, yeah. So like this human too. Um, the the older the old fellow who's human. yeah pee, peeing in the sea. Yeah, that's <laughs> first of all really funny. Um, but also just the fact that he's one of the good humans, and you know it's nice to see them occasionally, right. like the the good-hearted souls exactly who, uh, who don't want to kill elves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, yep. we need to be reminded that they're out there. And, exactly. And he's one of them. Right. Even if we never see him again, you know, it's just that yep. that Wendy uh, depicted him here, right? Um, you know, to to show once again, you know, there's yep. there's, there's good humans out there too. So exactly, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I also um, in the scene loved to the um, that one panel of Corife holding the flower that the old man had chucked to her in the ocean, and you know, she's just kind of looking at it, and she's like, "He's not going to tell." Somehow, I just <laughs> know it. It's just, yeah. it's very sweet and like so super elfy in the best sense. And, mm. um, you know, and her hair is giant as always. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hairspray. I hope yeah. that, um, I hope that she's not too trusting of humans though, that she's going to get herself or others into trouble. That's, you know. Well, right. That could be some foreshadowing going on there. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? And, um, so Reef is definitely suffering from some PTSD after, yeah. What occurred here, but uh, Corafe says that the next time they're um, able to, she's going to take him into the palace to meet the High One, which hopefully will bring him some inner peace. It's interesting that the um, the the uh, co- correlation here, I guess, between Reef and Two Edge, um, where they both seem to be suffering from the same sort of uh, pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? It's interesting. Um... I didn't even think about that, but I have noted that, you know, online folks have made, said that, you know, like it'll be really interesting to see what happens if Reef is present when Rayek shows up and, you know, if he can sense Winnowill's spirit, how he will react. And mm-hmm. I guess the same yeah. goes for Two Edge too, you know? Definitely. Yeah. That will be, uh, that will be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess that pretty much sums up everything for me. I think, how about you? Are you... I, yeah, I think that's everything. Let me just check my little note 
notes here. Um, I know that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got everything that I was going to oh talk about. God. We uh, we sure can go on, can't we? <laughs> yep. Um, oh, 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 there was one thing, and I'll just yeah. say it. We don't have to discuss it. When Strongbow and is is arguing with Shenzhen, basically scolding her, um, you know, he's like, "What if he says, like, what if other elves followed your footsteps?" And it just made me think, like, is that going to be another option? You're like the elves leave the world of two moons, they stay, but they stay hidden, or maybe some of them are going to choose to shape themselves into the form of humans and walk amongst us. Mm-hmm. And I just thought maybe that was a little foreshadowing. I again, no idea. If that's where they'll, the where they will go with it, but it 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 did pop into my mind. My my guess is that you're onto something with that. Because wouldn't that be interesting if by the time of the days of the future quest, mm-hmm. you know, there are humans in quotes, but they're really elves, yeah, and hiding. Yeah, that. And frankly, that is... would it really matter? You know, like if they didn't have pointed ears and four fingers, would it really matter? Well, you know, the whole thing with that, too, and what Jink is and how she disguises herself, I feel like there's there's connections being established between all of these varying occurrences in the final quest. Right. Um, because Jink disguised herself as a human, right? And yeah. now in the final quest, we're seeing elves being disguised as humans. humans. Yeah. You know, it's a, like, it's such a, it's, I mean, it's such a, like a duh thing to say, but I didn't even think about Jink or make any connection when I was just saying that about this idea of the elves kind of disguising themselves as humans. But yeah, I mean, that would establish some kind of connection. And, you know, maybe Jink isn't the only one. Maybe she's the only one that, you know, is as what, whatever, how, whatever adjectives you can use to describe Jink, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just sort of outgoing and, and, and active you know, kind of switching back and forth between human and elf form. Maybe the other elves can't change their shape without the palace there, and they're just sort of in human form, kind of scattered out there amongst the, uh, you know, the human populace. And I don't know, just very interesting to think about. I, I have a few theories about Jink, but we should probably save those for another episode. Okay. But yeah, I, I've, got some, I've got some theories. Um, all right. So I guess we've got another couple months to wait to get, you know, the yes, next batch do. of answers. So yep. in the meantime, um, again, folks, if you want to get the first color graphic novel that Dark Horse is putting out, it's coming out April 1st, and it's the Final Quest Volume 1. It's collecting the Final Quest special and the first six issues. So make sure you go out there and, you know, support the cause and pick up a copy. And I'm assuming that both hard copy and digital copies will be available of that, like they have been for all the other graphic novels. So definitely go check it out. And um, I guess, Ryan, if you have nothing else to add, I'm done. It just occurred to me April 1st. I hope this isn't some horrible April Fool's joke that they're playing on us, that the uh, collection will be available on that date, and then you'll go to order it, and they'll be like, nope, sorry, April (laughs) Fool's. Well, I mean, Wendy and Richard, Richard in particular, I think, like to, you know, tease us with, you know, jokes and, and, you know, maybe even play a an April Fool's joke on us every once in a while, but mm-hmm. I don't think they would ever be that cruel to I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I'm I hoping really not to. Yeah. So I guess we'll find but out. Is, we will. 
Um, yeah. This this has been really fun though. I'm glad we got to discuss this issue because it was an awesome one, and yeah. I can't wait for issue number nine. Absolutely. And the next podcast. And the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. It was fun. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. All right. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.